Jacob, hey, what's up, everybody? All right, as you may or may not tell from that theme song, that is the theme song to Fist of the North Star. And uh, this week we're going to be doing two post-apocalyptic cartoons for, uh, in honor of Mad Max Fury Road coming out. So what do you think of our selections this week? I'm pretty excited for them, definitely. I mean, this one in particular, this is like one of my favorite animes. I've only seen like a few episodes, but I mean, just from the like look of it, the action, and you know, the, you know, exploding limbs yeah i already loved it <laughs> you know i was a kid i loved i loved explosions i loved that violence i loved anime yeah and, and you know of course we've discussed this a few times uh i never was exposed to any anime until college and all that stuff was like imported from weird comic book stores you'd find in the big city uh, you know i grew up in the well i grew up in, in a decent sized city uh you know in the early half of my childhood up until about 1990 and, but they never aired anime and they never even showed Voltron, which is pretty Americanized version of anime. I mean, they did a lot of work to make sure that American audiences get into that. Never saw Voltron, and I most definitely have never seen Fist of the North Star. Of course, seeing this as a child, yeah, that's, uh, that's pretty R-rated. <laughs> hey, like I said, my parents my parents know I knew right from wrong. And then, I, you know, just made me realize it was a cartoon. Yeah. Of course, I got, of course, as a kid, you know, you get emotionally vested. You feel so much for the characters. All right, so then I was probably a little too emotional. We're going to skip our usual... We're going to test out this week. We're going to see what it's like just to describe a show. You know, to talk about a show without having to sit through the whole cartoon. You know, that eats up like 45 minutes. And there are some cartoons that we go beyond that, that episode and keep talking about. It, and some, not so much. We're going to just try out maybe a little faster episode this time. So, uh, this is my first experience with Fist of the North Star. Now, I, this is not my first experience with the character or the series... Uh, per se, I have seen the movie, the live-action movie from 1996, directed by Tony Randall, and That's... you've seen it, right? Yes, I just want to save so much of what I want to say about it for Trash Cinema. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I mean, I've seen the movie, and I, there's some stuff I was really interested in, but I was like, man, this is really low budget. Man, some of these guys are really hamming it up. And, uh, of course, the yes. gore factor is kind of different. And uh, so this is the first experience with the cartoon, though. I watched the original series, and it was okay. Um, I found the kid to be insanely annoying, but for the most part, yeah. it was an interesting tale half the time. It was funny, as the opening theme, I keep expecting Snake Plissken to be running past the screen, because I'm like, is that New York? Is that... <laughs> but, exactly, I know the big old Statue of Liberty head. <laughs> yeah, but it's the, uh, the second series, the reboot, called New Fist of the North Star, which I found massively better. It just... 
it, it was immensely uh, entertaining. Yeah, and as far as like you know the look for Kenshiro, you know the protagonist, definitely definitely Mel Gibson, um, Road Warrior. Yeah, you know post-apocalyptic uh, movies. Almost every single thing that I can think of. Um, Balls leather and S and M. Yeah, you know it all seems to be. <laughs> I mean, okay, it's, it's, Mad Max isn't the first post-apocalyptic movie. There were half a dozen or so before, especially if you look at Planet of the Apes. That's probably the first, like, hugely successful post-apocalyptic kind of alternate future kind of thing. But Mad Max, the first one had a heavy influence, but it wasn't until Road Warrior came along and all of a sudden everybody's using, like, you know, football gear as, like, their costume and it's all punk rock and new wave. That had a huge oh, yeah. influence on everything post-apocalyptic. Pretty now, much, yeah. Oh, gosh. Especially Thunderdome. Yeah, well, also Escape from New York. Let's not deny that, you know, Escape from New York came out a year before Road oh, Warrior. Oh, yeah. And, you know, that had a big influence, but, you know, it's it's heavy, heavy Road Warrior everywhere during that time period. Right, and, you know, Escape from New York wasn't exactly, you know, post-apocalyptic. It's like a totalitarian, you know, right. uh, version of, right. you know, it's Nazi not, America. It's not post-apocalyptic, but the way that you look at New York itself, it looks like it's been hit by apocalypse. Yeah. But everything around it is fine, apparently. And of course, uh, the way it's also kind of treated like a utopia for the criminals because they can just do as they please. Right. Uh, so this series actually became it came from manga series that started in 1983. So yes, it is post uh, Road Warrior. So I you got you got to think that these are some influence. It ran for five years. I can't believe 245 chapters. I wonder if it was like uh, Judge Dredd, where you know it was a weekly series. Possibly. I mean, it might have been part of like a you know an actual annual magazine like 2000 AD was. Yeah, so I mean that's a lot of volumes, 27 volumes. That is crazy. But obviously it was popular mm -hmm. enough to launch into you know he's got video games, has a movie, you know at least a, a handful of anime series. Yes, um, as far as the video games go, I know uh Koei and Tecmo, Koei Tecmo, uh, or is it Bandai Namco? I know I know the guys who did uh, the Dynasty Warriors and Samurai Warriors games were the ones who developed it, and it got two installments on the PS3. Let me check to see who did the video games. Um, wow, it's a lot of different right. games here. Enix Adventure Game was the first one. I don't know what Enix was. I'm just, uh, Sega did one for the Mega Drive and Mark III, which is not a system we got here. Nintendo, uh, we did not get it. Uh, it only came out on the Game Boy and the Famicom, but I never said any of this stuff was really transferred to our... Let me look. Uh, Fist of the North Star... Kings of the Universe, it was a fighting game. It was developed for the Saturn, PlayStation, the Arcade, PlayStation, Nintendo DS. Oh, uh, yeah, probably not released. Probably wasn't popular enough well, you know for an overseas audience. Yeah, and there's another game that just came out recently, 2013, Ken's Rage 2, which is for uh, in the Japanese only. Dang. No, I could have sworn it was available here in the U.S. I know the first one was. Yeah, the first one is. I don't. It doesn't say anything. Oh, no, 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 I'm sorry. I read this wrong. It was released in 2012 in Japan and North America on, in 2013. Yep. It did have somewhat of a popular... I mean, I I mean personally, like as far as the Warriors games go, it's like very repetitive, like basic, you know, you know, massive, you know, action game where you can just kill thousands of, you know, players in a heartbeat. But this one, it kind of took it into a fighting genre. It, I mean, I actually tried out the demo of it. It seemed cool at first, but, you know, you get a little bit bored of it afterwards. However, you know, if you're like that huge of a fan of the series, then you'll love it. And you know, some people are just so, some people are simply pleased. Yeah, I think a lot of fighting games kind of wear out their welcome, and it's, it's only a handful that have like tons of things you have to dig through and discover. 
that uh, like Mortal Kombat X. Right. You know. Okay. But so <laughs> back to the the original uh, anime series. You know, I just surprised. Is this the first animated series I ever seen gore? In fact, was it was, was it the first one to be like made for adults? I'm not sure. I think there was something before that. Well, for me as a kid, I think it was one of the first ones that were really gory. So, uh, and after that was like Ghost in the Shell. But for me, I but for me this was. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's really not much I can really say about this. I think it's funny that it does say in 199x. Like, there's only a nine year gap you can go there. Did they really think if they put 1995, it's gonna like screw things up? You know, oh well, we should have put 1999. It's just kind of weird that it should have just been in the in the near future. You know, something like that. So that it's always relevant. I always think it's weird when movies and TV shows pick a very particular year, and then you're like. Ah, that's funny. Ah, that didn't yeah. happen 15 years ago. <laughs> and plus, who keeps track of time in these movies in this kind of setting, anyway? Right. I mean, look at I mean, look at Escape from L.A. I mean, that didn't actually happen, now, did it? <laughs> well, I think it's the, uh, worst, the worst offender is uh, Demolition Man. It's filmed in 1993. At the, it was released at the end of '93, and it says 1996. And all of a sudden, they have the ability to freeze people. Like completely freeze people in these giant cubes and keep them completely intact. I'm like, that's only three years away. The technology would have to exist already in order for you to incorporate it and use it on a regular basis. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't think cryogenically cryogenics and freezing is possible right now. No, and uh, not even now. That's that's the problem with future things is they do whenever they date something. It's just a ridiculous idea. Uh, anything else you want to say about Fist of the North Star? Uh, I would definitely, I would definitely. Uh, recommend watching it and <clears throat> let's see like if you especially if you love action it's got like the whole post-apocalyptic you know setting but with like classic almost bruce lee fantasy kind of combat yeah i i, I myself prefer the newer series uh, i think it has a little more, more universal appeal the first series seems like it's very i mean, i gotta say there's this thing with uh some anime that I've seen where they always had to have a cutesy character, a kid or a robot, and it's always really, really annoying. Like, it's always got this or annoying. that's just like, come on, man, just shut up. It's like the Orko of their universe. And we had uh, we had Orko and um, Cringer and whatever that character was from Thundercats. What was, what was that character that, that we... Snarf. Snarf. Like, yeah, exactly. always have to have this cute character, and I'm just like, bitch it, man. It can be more badass than ever. But, it's uh, like, just kill the little annoying sidekick. Yeah, or how about he just not be annoying, just be a sidekick. Something like that. Yeah, that could work too. But you got to have some kind of com comedic relief. Just as long as it's no, uh, just as long as it's not another Jar Jar Binks. We can't have that. Oh, One was bad enough. Jar. I think we've outlived Jar Jar. <laughs> All right, so Good. that's it for us here with Fist of the North Star. We're gonna take a brief break and we'll come back with Thundar the Barbarian. Thundar the Barbarian. Year 1994. From out of space comes a runaway planet, hurtling between the Earth and the Moon, unleashing cosmic destruction. Man's civilization is cast in ruin. Two thousand years later, Earth is reborn. A strange new world rises from the old. A world of savagery, super science, and sorcery. But one man bursts his bonds to fight for justice. With his companions, Ufla the Mock and Princess Ariel, he pits his strength, his courage, and his fabulous sun sword against the forces of evil. He is Thundar, the Barbarian. Dude, how badass is this cartoon? 
like I said, it was pretty cool. I like the setting. I like the setting, the look of it. You know, post. You know, another post-apocalyptic age. A, a, you know, a stray planet, pretty much causing all the damage that was done to Earth. Uh huh. Damn. You know, I had seen this when I was a little kid in reruns. Uh, they used to rerun this, and I got confused halfway through because there's another cartoon that has uh similar vibes. It's called Black Star. It's from a different company, but man, it seems like there's a lot of influence when you watch Black Star. You're like, oh wow. And uh, so I got kind of confused. Plus, there was Herculoids. All this stuff was airing at the same time, and I was very, very young, like four or five, and maybe even younger. And uh, I think through time, I just forgot about Thunder of the Barbarian, what it was. And I always, I think somewhere along the way, I started to think that it was just a low-rent He-Man, you know, ripoff. And then you go back yeah. and realize this existed before He-Man, and uh, how groundbreaking it was, because besides Johnny Quest, there really wasn't a whole lot of grown-up. Or not grown up, but I would say uh, serious uh, cartoons. Yes. You know, aimed at probably like teenagers. And this cartoon is so entertaining. I know, he's got a sword. Like, how is that sword powered? Is it like solar paneled? Is that how it's... They they said it was a solar sword. I have to look that up. But um, the one thing I'll take from this is the fact that if any cartoon deserves to be adapted into live action, it's this movie. (laughs) Right, yes. Plus, Ruby, Ruby Spears did... You know, was in Hanna Barbera. They always did, you know, like kiddish. You know, like Jabberjaw, Speed Buggy, um, Fang Face, Scooby Doo, Flintstones, and Jetsons. You know, all those cartoons. That none of them were really taken seriously or a serious theme like this. Yeah. Um, you know who co has. Do you know who the creator who did? of uh, this cartoon is? Uh, I know Ruby Spears is a uh, like produced it, but. Yeah, who is the actual creator? The guy who designed the entire world, the storyline, is Steve Gerber, the creator of Howard the Duck. Oh, wow. Yeah, and he, of course, he worked, awesome. heavy, he worked heavy on Guardians of the Galaxy. So we owe one of the biggest hits of last year to Steve Gerber and one of the worst movies of all time <laughs> of the 80s is Howard the Duck. But you actually like <laughs> Howard the Duck, don't you? It is, of course. I was a little kid. I mean, how could I not like it? It was you know, a, you I know. I watched it all the time, too. You know, I, everybody says it's a terrible movie. I haven't seen it since it originally came out. I feel like I should revisit this. Maybe we should talk about it on Trash Cinema. Yeah, we should. Um, that and Masters of the Universe. Or should we should we pair that up with Masters of the Universe? Or should we pair uh, Howard the Duck with something else? Well, Maybe like Punisher? Well, I was thinking about this. We just talked about Fist of the North Star. And then we just talked about Howard the Duck. Well, what if we just did an episode of Trash Cinema with both of those? They're both based on comic books and uh, manga, you know? That's true. That is true. I think that would, that's a good pairing. <laughs> All right, so, Thunder the Barbarian, you know, as groundbreaking and as amazing as it was, it only lasted two years. Which, it, it, you know, when it's first, we start, first started doing the show, I thought a lot of these cartoons were on forever and ever and ever. And it keeps finding, I keep finding out even the biggest shows were only on for, like, at best, three or four years. But uh, the thing is, is that this show is rerun over and over to the point where you would forget that it was on. Oh, wow. Yeah, you'd think it would, like, last it forever. So this is not... I mean, that's not... Yeah, this isn't technically Hanna-Barbera. This is Ruby Spears, but Hanna-Barbera ended up buying them out in the 90s, so it just came back to them. Oh, okay. Yeah, because I know it was on Boomerang. It was, like, part of the, you know, big Boomerang, you know, cast of uh, classic cartoon characters, Roundup. I will say here, the G-Men, I guess they're, like, mutated rats, and this man, Gemini, 
you know, as it, as you as you soon find out, is like you know a flip face. You know, he's it's a like calm and cool one minute, and then he'll flip his face and be like, "Ah, oh, you found me!" I'm like, it's like it's like that they took Skeletor and Manny faces from He Man and then uh, combined them into the same character. Yeah, or like on the astrology sign Gemini, you know, dual personalities. Yeah, makes total sense too. Well, this is way but, way in the future, thirty nine ninety four A.D. I think that's the farthest I've ever seen a post apocalyptic movie or TV show. Oh yeah, gosh, I didn't even think the planet would seem to still exist. Yeah, I, mean, I don't think Planet <laughs> of the Apes is even that far ahead. I think it's just like in the year three thousand or something. Yeah, possibly. Oh look, up oh, there's the Statue of Liberty. Ah, uh, New York, it's you all know, gone. You know almost every post apocalyptic thing has has that. It almost always has the uh, Statue of Liberty pop up in it. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> well, what is it in Judge Dredd where all of a sudden the Statue of Liberty is in the middle of the city? You're like, wait, did they move it? I mean, they didn't build a city on that little thing, you know? They built a city all around Mega City. Mega City is one big city that ranges from New York, I think, down to Boston, to Massachusetts. Yeah. Yeah, it's supposed to house like 800 million people. Pretty intense. Pretty crazy. Alright, so we were talking before the episode that the uh, Thundar is voiced by Robert Ridgely. Now, a lot of people don't know his name, but you'll know his face. It, and, and probably yes, his it, voice, too. He, I, <laughs> funny thing is, I probably know him from a bunch of animation or voiceover stuff, but I know him primarily from Boogie Nights. And you remember that he was in, what was it, Blazing Saddles? And uh, Robin Hood Men in Tights, he was the hangman with the eye patch. Would you care for a blindfold? <laughs> How about half one? <laughs> He is in Blazing Saddles, High Anxiety, Life Stinks, and he repeats his role in Robin Hood Men in Tights. That's right. Yeah, he, I think he, yeah, I, he was a go-to guy, at least that little part as well, for Mel Brooks. Yeah, and I, I <laughs> forgot he was in Beverly Hills Cop too. I forgot. I've seen that movie like a thousand times, and I realized that he was, huh. oh, wow. Yeah, he did a lot of TV, a lot of uh, movies, and uh, he did tons of voiceover stuff. Now, the reason I know who he is is because I was watching the... Uh, I was watching the um, commentary track for Boogie Nights, and they did this whole thing on him and how he was connected to Ernie Anderson. Ernie Anderson uh, was very well known where I was from because he paid, uh, played Goulardi uh, out of Cleveland. Have you heard of uh, Goulardi? No, I can't say I have. Goulardi was one of those horror hosts. You know, he would put on cheesy makeup, do funny gags, and he horror films. And his partner in the writing and comedy of it was Tim Conway. Oh, oh wow, Tim Conway. Yeah. Now he's a legend. Ernie Anderson is P.T. Anderson's dad. Oh, wow. Yeah, so uh, him and Tim Conway and Robert Ridgely, they were all like really close, and they did a lot of stuff here and there together. And, of course, as years went by, Tim Conway became super famous, you know, and Lardy, he kind of stayed doing his thing for a while. And they all just kind of did animation and characters and uh, commercials and stuff like that. So, you know, uh, Ridgely he would do tons and tons of commercials for ABC. So if you saw a commercial saying, coming up on ABC, that would be his voice. Oh, yeah, definitely. I, honestly, though, knowing that he was the hangman for Blazing Saddles, like, every line, like, that I repeat, that every every line he says, I repeat in my head in the, in the style <laughs> of that hangman. Uh, other than that, he didn't do a whole lot of cartoons. He did uh, the Tarzan, Lord of the Jungle TV show for Filmation. He also did the oh. Adventures of Flash Gordon. He did characters for 13 Ghosts of Scooby-Doo. Tailspin, Thunder the Barbarian, and then Strawberry Shortcake. <sighs> Strawberry Shortcake. Oh, wow. Strawberry Shortcake. Yeah. That was around, like, early 90s? Yeah. No, no was that was probably, I think, around 84, 85? Strawberry Shortcake. Who was in Strawberry Shortcake? Uh, I don't know. I never rewatched 
watched. That was one of those things Lister watched it. I'd have to look it up. It was one of those cutesy shows like Rainbow Bright. You realize that we've never really touched upon any of those kids' cartoons that are for girls? Because I don't think that day is ever going to happen. <laughs> I just don't see myself having a half-hour conversation about Rainbow Bright or Care Bears. It, it's kind of stupid. Maybe we should spin this off and get a couple uh, people who actually watch those and give them their own little show. <laughs> My Little Pony. I never saw My Little Pony. You know, I just had no interest. Oh. The only one I ever watched was She-Ra. Oh, yeah. No, She-Ra was pretty awesome. That was definitely a strong female female lead. Oh, you know, I forgot to say this. Uh, he also played um, Pitfall Harry in a Saturday Supercade cartoon, and we're going to be covering Saturday Super and Pac-Man in an episode in July. That's right, just in time for Pixels. Yep. All right. Which so is definitely going to be on discussion for the summer movies. Yeah, other than Robert Ridgely, we got, uh, I don't really know the other actors, Henry Cordone. He did uh, voice work for Fred Flintstone. Wow, he took over for friends Fred Flintstone when the original voiceover actor died. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, you know what? I, I mean, bet you he plays the villain. Because now that I think about it, if you listen to the villain's voice, the one with the spinning head, they sound awfully like Oh, yeah. Yeah, he sounds like Ge- yeah, Gemini. The voice of Gemini. Gemini. See, this is the first time I've actually seen uh, Thunder of the Barbarian. I apologize for not remembering the character's name. I think sometimes that the fact that I do like five shows is a little much, and I find myself forgetting things by the time we actually get around to recording episodes. So I apologize if I'm kind of a flake. <laughs> no, don't worry. You know, I noticed about cartoons like this, it's very fast paced. Like, oh it does not God, take its time with dialogue at all. It was over before I even knew it. <laughs> You're, uh, gosh. Everything's pretty much in fast forward. You might as well be. It, you might as well play the Benny Hill theme tune as you watch this cartoon. It goes by that quickly. Of course, that would leave no time for dialogue, and these voice actors would be out of work. I'm wondering, have they ever done a crossover with, you know, Thundar and He-Man? No, different companies, but it would be interesting if someone could get that right. Uh, I don't know who right now owns Filmation. I think I think DreamWorks owns the rights to filming cartoons. I don't know if they're powerful enough to license, you know, convince somebody to go, hey, come on over here and uh, let's uh, put these two together. Oh, yeah, no, that does. Yeah, no, that would be pretty awesome. Now, other than this, Thunder has been kind of forgotten. He really had no other spinoffs, no reason. Um, yeah, I'm surprised he didn't show up in, like, a graphic. I know um, when, you know, DC launched its new 52. Yeah, I know when DC launched, relaunched uh, the Masters of the Universe franchise a, as a comic book series, I'm surprised they didn't add in Thundar, Thundar the Barbarian somehow with that. Yeah. That, or at least they probably would have had to get the rights, like you said, from Pixar, because they're the ones who own it, right? So it, the complete series is on Warner Archive. You can buy it there. Uh, and it's also part of a package you found in stores called the 1980s Compilation Series. You know what? I forgot. I have seen before. I forgot about four or five years ago I was watching this. And that's when I got confused. Cause I think Black Star and Thundar and it's like uh, something, the Golden Glider. There was a, like three shows that were very similar all on the same disc. Yeah, it says here, oh, Black God. Star was heavily influenced by Thunder the Barbarian, even though at no point does he ever give credit to it. But they do, I watch Black Star, they're very similar. I'll have to watch Black Star whenever I get the chance. Yeah, it's not post-apocalyptic, it's just like a weird version. Uh, there's, It's kind of like uh, this movie I saw called uh, You're the Hunter from the Future, where it's it's like Conan meets Star Wars, it's a very strange thing. I mean, yeah, those things, I mean, separately, they sound delicious. But 
Oh, you when you mash them together, it's just too much. Yeah, sometimes it works. Sometimes uh, you know what? You have to see your the hunter from the future. It's the most fucking bizarre thing I've ever seen. I apologize for swearing. I, I thought I wasn't gonna cuss on the show, but if you've seen your, <laughs> there's no way you can't be like, what? The? You know, <laughs> it's it's an insane movie. Okay, I'll have to look it up. Oh, also, oh yeah, speaking of Masters of the Universe, I think last update I read about it, uh, the director of Kick Ass Two was gonna be directing. Um, Masters of the Universe. That dude is attached to like four movies at once. I have no idea what's going on. Jeff Wadlow is a decent director. I like Kick-Ass 2. I liked uh, Never Back Down. But I don't understand where all of a sudden he's attached to so many things. I always wonder if it happens in Hollywood. Like, we got nobody. Everybody's attached to stuff. Grab somebody else. You know, and then all of a sudden that person becomes attached to some stuff. I know. It's like, oh, there's so much to do. There's too much to do for this one person. We have to have, put it on someone else. That, uh, that explains yeah. why that one guy. Who's the guy who starred in uh, Battleship and uh, John Carter? Taylor something. Taylor Kitsch? Is that it? Yeah, Taylor Kitsch, yes. It explains why all of a sudden he was attached to three movies all at once, and two of them were massive movies. And you're just like, you guys are looking for anybody that's available. Anybody who has any sort of heat on them whatsoever. And that's how that's how I think things go wrong in Hollywood. Not that I mind Taylor Kitsch in any way. He's an okay actor. And I enjoy John oh, Carter. I, I hated Battleship, but <laughs> that's besides the point. Battleship, Battleship sucked. But I will say, okay, now here, you think this is where uh, they got the idea from, you know, Ghostbusters 2? Like Ghostbusters 2, somebody watched this and he's like, okay, let's, you know, let's turn the Statue of Liberty into, like, as a moving tank. Yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> I will say, I mean. I, I have to apologize. I accidentally stopped my video. Where are we at in the cartoon? Oh, it's when the Statue of Liberty is attacking. No, no time. What's time? Oh, it's 15-15. Oh, okay. So we have a couple minutes left. Yeah, I love the look of it. And it's so exciting and action-packed. And like I said, it's one of the very few cartoons that didn't back away. It always seemed like they always needed a character for cutesiness. You know, something to appeal to the little ones. I feel like Ruby Spears and Steve Garber were in agreement when they designed this, saying, hey, guess what? There's people who still watch cartoons, but, you know, they're going into their teenage years. And they want to see something awesome. You know, and this was the first really set that trend. Of course, the 80s after that was littered with tons of cartoons that were pretty action-packed and dead serious. You know, Transformers. And stay with you forever. Yeah, and those, I think, last better because the stuff that has the kitty character, you find yourself just going, oh, oh come on. Like, if he it's like, we get it. Okay, I mean, just this moment right here, I can't help but laugh, but, uh, you know, especially just hearing him in the hangman voice where he just yells out, the pearl, and then just throws it at the Statue of Liberty, and it, it deactivates, it gets rid of all the magic that was flowing through her. <laughs> it's just, I'm sorry, that I... Yeah, I mean, when, when he does stuff like that, I can't take him seriously. <laughs> I didn't realize that Steve Gerber passed away. He died in 2008. Oh. Well, at least he left a legacy of great things. I mean, as much as Howard the Duck was joked about for years after the movie, in the 70s, he was pretty groundbreaking. He was very uh, satirical, lots of political kind of stuff going on, uh, you know, tongue-in-cheek. It was kind of like uh, Mad Magazine for kids who had outgrew Mad Magazine. But then, of course, the movie came out and kind of just kicked it right in the butt. It was like... Wait, which movie came out? You know, when the Howard the Duck movie came out and it bombed horribly, it kind of killed the edge of of Howard the Duck, and he was hidden for years, only popping up randomly like in in a man thing and stuff like that. Uh, of course, he has this cameo at the end of Guardians of the Galaxy, when everybody's all of a sudden like, "Awesome!" Yeah, I know. I mean, and it was voiced by Seth Green too. I was like, okay, so if they do, if Howard the Duck gets his own thing, is it going to be Seth Green? Yeah, who knows. 
he won't get his own thing, but I bet you he'll be part of something else. He might show up in the next Guardians of the Galaxy in a slightly bigger role. <laughs> yeah, oh, that'd be awesome. Uh, it's like, what if Duck World has one of the Infinity Stones? <laughs> you know, here's the thing. That could Steve, be possible. I'll say this about Steve Gerber. He, he was severely sick for years, and yet, during this whole time, he still worked his butt off. He knew that he was probably dying, and yet he, he didn't take it easy. He was still working for DC Comics at the very end, working on uh, Dr. Fate. That's awesome. Oh, wow. Yeah, that, that's like the commitment right there. He's like, well, what am I going to do? Sit here and watch TV and think about my life being over? Or am I going to keep busting my butt, you know, getting something out there for the people to enjoy? Leaving a legacy. Especially working on a character like Dr. Fate, too, who is like one of the biggest, you know, supernatural, you know, protagonist in the DC universe. Yeah, and he's not an easy character to write either, so he must have been using just mm -hmm. all his energy. He's mostly a Marvel guy, though. He works for uh, Malibu Comics, Image, Eclipse, and DC, but he did most of his work over at Marvel. And, man, he worked on everything. Avengers, Captain America, Cloak and Dagger, Daredevil, Defenders, um, Freddy Krueger. Wow, I forgot that there was a Freddy Krueger series from Marvel. Uh, almost every single issue of Howard the Duck. Wow. Incredible Hawk, Iron Man, Man-Thing. He was the, the main writer on Man-Thing. Also a terrible movie. Man, this guy's not getting a whole lot of justice. <laughs> Man-Thing? I have to look this up. Is this like a parody of Swamp Thing? No, Man-Thing, it was... Okay, so Man-Thing was kind of like Swamp Thing. Uh, I never really read it, so it's kind of hard to... But you know how uh, Swamp Thing was really like edgy and thoughtful and mature, and it went into like all sorts of like different corners of the DC Universe that were like horror element kind of stuff? And then the movie kind of crapped all over that. Well, it's kind of the same thing with Man-Thing. Man-Thing, um, he didn't really fight crime, but he was kind of like a ghosty kind of... He's like the Spectre in a weird way. The Spectre in the DC Universe. He uh, had a way of finding evil and teaching it a lesson. And he always had this thing where if you, you were scared or it was a fear of your own bad sins or whatever, you would burn in his touch. I mean, I barely know what's going on. Because here's the thing is the movie almost nothing to do with the comic whatsoever. It's as if someone goes, you know what, we'll license the name and the look, but otherwise we're just going to make up our own stuff. That was That's what was wrong with the, the movie. Oh, wow. Okay, so I'm actually looking up some info about Man-Thing right now. I think there was a reference to him in Iron Man 3. Is there now? While you're looking that up, I'll say this. Steve Gerber, uh, the things that he worked on, of course, is what we're watching right now. He also worked on Dungeons & Dragons, the animated series, which we just did last week. Not you and me, but another friend. Uh, he worked on the Batman the Animated Series, Superman Animated Series, and Yu-Gi-Oh. Oh, wow. Yeah, so besides Yu -Gi -Oh. comics, he was knocking out some scripts for com uh, cartoons. Oh, wow, that's awesome. Oh, yeah, but no, his name drop, um, actually, uh, Man-Thing's wife was actually, like, one of the, uh, girl that, she was the redhead that was experimented on in Iron Man 3. Oh, really? Yeah, the one who had a burnt face. Like, oh, hey, who knows? They might, uh, well, I know they in uh, Captain America 2, they even uh, dropped uh, Doctor Strange's name. Oh, I remember that. Well, you know, we should uh, we should go into this Man-Thing. I'll try to get you a copy of Man-Thing and you can finally see it. It's really, really hard to find because I think Marvel is deeply ashamed of it. Now, The Punisher and Man-Thing were the only two movies that Artisan ever made with the, one, the license that they had from Marvel. Uh, they had licensed Deadpool, I believe. They licensed uh, Punisher, Iron Fist. And Iron Fist almost went with uh, Ray Park. Uh, and then the only thing they ever got going was a Punisher and Man-Thing. And the Man-Thing was so different than what we expected, and it was slow. And they didn't know what to do with it. Artisan went out of business and sold their catalog off to Lionsgate. So they just threw it on Sci-Fi Channel and then straight to video. And it's almost been completely hidden. 
Oh, wow. Yeah, so it's very oh. hard to find. It's a very odd movie. I'm not going to say it's a good movie. At the time, I thought it was really irritating, but I, I should watch it again just to, to check. Which movie again? Man-Thing. Yeah, uh, he looks a lot like Swamp Thing. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's it, they, That happens sometimes with the DC Marvel Universe. They'll have guys that look similar. All right, so I think we've gone off pretty far from Thunder the Barbarian. The episode has ended, so I think that's time for us to wrap up. Anything you want to say about Thunder before we go? Like I said, I hope it gets some kind of a reboot. Yeah, it is killer, man. I can't believe I've never really sat down and like watched it, watched it. It is really good. <laughs> I mean, <clears throat> I mean, considering, or at least make some kind of appearance somehow in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Well, I guess it probably with Doctor Strange. No, no, no. It would be the DC Universe because Hanna-Barbera is owned by Warner Brothers. So yeah, if they're going to reintroduce Thunder the Barbarian, bring him in. Bring him into the DC Universe in some way. Either have him like an alternate reality or like, like the way it is, a futuristic kind of thing. They do have a future DC world, so they might be able to just do like a little spinoff and then give him his own series. Oh yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, as far, considering what like DC's planned so far, I think they, I think Warner Brothers is going to do a pretty good job. All right, so that's Especially, it. Like, you know, that's it for us here at Back in Tunes, and uh, this is Michael signing off. All right, this is Jacob signing off. Good night, everybody. Namaste and good luck. And boogie, woogie, woogie, all down, down. to Back in Tunes. That might have been a weird intro, but we're going to be discussing Eon Flux and the Max in a special, I guess, grown-up version of Back in Tunes. I'm your host, Michael, my co-host. Jacob, how y'all doing? <laughs> That's funny. The last episode we recorded, I turned you way, way down. That one, I turned you way, way up. Whoops. Say it loud. <laughs> All right, so this is going to be kind of a shorter episode because Eon Flux and the Max, they kind of aired in smaller chunks than the normal cartoon. But, uh, Jacob, go ahead and let me know what you think about the, the show. Well, what I thought about the show, I watched it a lot when I was a kid. I was, it was really intriguing to see. It was very different from everything else I've seen. It's uh, created by Peter Chang, who also created Phantom 2040. He was a character designer on that. And he, was also, he also did uh, Rain, which was the one about Alexander the Great, same animation style. Yeah, I was kind of confused. I mean, you know, as a kid, you know, prepubescent, getting into it, liking girls at an early age. And, you know, I didn't know anybody. You know, I was kind of turned on by it. I was like, oh, shoot, yeah, this girl in BDS. Oh, I think BDS we all family. were. It's very erotic and weird. And there's some weird tongue stuff going on in a lot of those cartoons, man. Licking nipples, tonguing each other. Oh, yeah. Kind of gross. Plus it is. It's MTV. Way. It was part of, it was, you know, it was part of uh, MTV's The Oddities. You know, yeah. their little cartoon hour that they would have. Well, actually... Uh, it's like uh, it bounced around different shows, but what I first experienced it on was Liquid Television, which was a half-hour show of experimental cartoons. And so that's the first place I saw Beavis and Butthead and Squiggle Vision, or not Squiggle Vision, but it's like these uh, squiggly line drawings of scenes from movies, like Night of Living Dead and stuff like that. But then the last right. one was Eon Flux, and I remember just sitting there watching it, going, w "Wait, what am I watching? That guy just sucked on someone's nipple for a second. And guns are blasting, and no one's talking. No one's saying anything. Yeah, no, it really adds mystery to the characters with no dialogue. It's all really just interpretation. It all started out as short segments, and then eventually, I think one season, it started getting half-hour segments and more dialogue. But I will say this right here. It just seems like I, no matter what future 
you live in, someone's always, like, the fashion is going to be BDSM leather and vinyl. Right? <laughs> Every movie we look at, it's either that or it's that uh, almost Nazi-style clothing where it's very sterile, grays and blacks, and there's nothing special about it at all. Exactly, that too. Also, I mean, that first opening shot, you see that fly buzzing around? And yeah. It goes right here, that eyeball, and then it gets closed in like a Venus flytrap. Yeah, and that's, uh, that's what I was going to say. I think I actually, somehow I start things that I don't finish them. What I was saying was it was an unusual opening because there really isn't a theme song, which almost every cartoon in history has a theme song, and that just kind of like has like a feel. It sets a tone, like you're stepping into another world when that, that starts. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, so I, I think I watched all the first season when it first came out, and I watched all the shorts, but I don't think I ever finished the cartoon. But uh, I don't think it really has an end, does it? I don't think it would only run on for three seasons. I'm not sure if if they just ended it right there or just got canceled. You know what's funny but, is but, uh, MTV back when they would have shows, you could have a show on for four or five seasons and you'd only have like twenty episodes. You're like, how is that even possible? Like the state, I thought the state was on forever and ever and ever. It's like uh, twenty five episodes. Oh, I know. Me too. It was <laughs> the state. That's pretty much where everyone from Reno nine one one got their start. Right. Yeah, but this here, I mean, like I said, the visual style, it is exactly like Phantom 2040. Well, and, you know, uh, if you guys are fans of this, um, check out Phantom 2040. We discussed this back at Christmas, and it's it's a really great cartoon. Oh, I know, and it has the same visual, kind of, you know, same character design and visual style, but a lot less erotic. Yeah. <laughs> now, I will say, though, like, right here, the action and the animation is just great. They re-ran this cartoon non-stop. I mean, I have seen the second episode probably 30 times. Just over and over, just pop on. And that's the cool thing. Sometimes when a show is a full-length show, you get kind of burned out, but these short little bits and pieces here and there, I'm completely fine with. Yeah. Oh, no, me too. Uh, for me, as a kid, I thought they were just, you know, full-length, you know, half-hour episodes. You know, time goes by so slowly, we don't even grasp the concept of how, fa of how fast it can, it can really go. Right. Unlike adults. What did you think yeah, of the also, movie? Oh my god! <laughs> right, I was just the same thing. Even the, yeah, how could uh, even the creator was just really disappointed. It just like yeah, they did not. It's like they, they they may have appreciated my show and loved it, but I did I it's like they did not. I did not see the faith in. Oh gosh, I did not see actual faith in their work. I didn't see anything that any that showed why people loved my show in the first place. Right, you know, something I, like that, along that line. There seems to be a curse, and mostly it's with uh, the women. But whenever an actor wins an award at the you know Academy Award, either supporting or lead, it seems like almost immediately if there is any sort of breakthrough heat on them, the next movie they do is always some sci-fi, comic book, fantasy piece of shit. It's always something that, like, oh, that's an interesting... Oh, you guys did not think that out at all. Come on, Catwoman? Look at that, you know? It just seems like every time... Uh, it, it's, uh, it either does nothing for them, or the next movie is some big budget piece of crap, and you're just like, oh, this is so bad. Oh, no, exactly. I mean, plus, you had... I don't even see how some people could even think that that movie was going to turn out. What were the writers thinking? Plus... They also said studios always make last-minute changes, too, so you kind of have to blame the studios. Yeah, there's no way this uh, the sexuality was going to be there. Man, there's a lot of tongue going on. Good God. She is, like, I know her earwax out. That is fucked up. And she looks like she's... Uh, yeah, it is. It's like, are, are they genetically modified? What's the deal there? Yeah, you know... And she, she looks like she... 
she was starting to get turned on by it too. I mean, look what she was doing with her gun. Yeah. Normally we don't cuss on this cartoon or on this show, Back in Tunes, but this is a grown-up cartoon. If you're listening to this, you're obviously old enough to tolerate some, yeah, some words because this is messed up. This is a wild, wild cartoon. It is. I mean, they, they and and that movie didn't even break any kind of boundaries or go with that kind of. No, it was very, it, very it, safe, very boring. I have to tell you this: I never finished the movie. And I'm glad you didn't. Heck, even just ten minutes was a waste of time. Yeah. It's like it's one of those movies where you're constantly looking at your watch, like, oh gosh, this movie over. I don't want to waste my money. Yeah, I don't want to leave so early. The best parts were in the trailer, and guess what? The trailer wasn't that appealing. Exactly. Yeah, there, there I know. Was, like, sure. I just don't understand what it is that after they get an Academy Award, are they just going for a paycheck? Or are they going to give them more exposure by doing a big studio film? I appreciate an actor who wins an Oscar and then just uh, just tries to do the best movie they can. Doesn't matter if they think they're going to get an Academy Award. Doesn't mean it, they're looking for box office. Just something that they themselves really want to make. Not what their manager and agent are pressuring them to do. Right. Now... This right here, this was, I think, from what we could tell earlier, it just seems like this the guy just like cut his finger open and he let that bug in. It's like he's, it's, uh, and from what you can tell from the news clippings, it's like some big virus outbreak uh-huh. and it's spreading. And now he's like bringing it. And now this guy here ha- seems to have his own agenda by you know poisoning that billionaire in the bed, that old billionaire in the bed. What is that? Which is, of course is her target as well, huh? What is that thing doing to him? It's like jostling him back and forth. Is it massaging? What the hell? Yeah, it's like a, like maybe spinal treatment. Uh, I don't know. Like yeah, yeah keeping the, their yeah. back nice and. The animation on MTV was obviously very very low budget, so you can see a lot of recycled animation here. But it's still very unique. Peter Chung had a very direct vision, and uh, he never compromised on that vision. Not at all. No. They didn't compromise on anything on the MTV show. No, MTV was this really... I think MTV was really cool. Yes, they didn't have the money to give huge budgets, but they always gave pretty much 100% freedom to do whichever you wanted. All right. And look what they did with Beavis and Butthead. Well, so, there, right there's here... A, there's yeah. some other ones, like Clone High. Uh, um, Ren and Stimpy. Uh, what's the one? The Brothers Grunt from the creator of Ren and Stimpy. You know, there's some great stuff oh, going yeah. on during that time period. And MTV doesn't show music videos, and nor do they have a TV show worth a damn. Oh, of course not. It's all just garbage. I don't even know how you can call it MTV anymore. Uh-oh, she's about to get shit going. Then, lo and behold, uh, stabbed in the back of the heel. And... Oh. Bleh. I know, that was so weird. Like, the main character already died just like that? In the first episode, what the hell? How did I never get I that before? I don't know. I must have never actually but watched her into this. No, she just got disintegrated. I guess this is her home. Oh, wow. Well, they definitely thought this through, should anything happen. I think it's funny that this is the far-flung future, and yet they still have film cameras. <laughs> exactly. I know, no no floating little robots or anything. So I'm guessing, oh, so I'm guessing that purple stuff was the cure. Yeah. And now they're mass-producing it. And like I guess Rutger that old billionaire died. Yeah, that guy, he looks like Rudger Hauer from uh, Blade Runner. He does, kind of. Yet, right here, we see A on Flux in some kind of dreamscape. Getting oh, her go with tongues. More tongues. More t- with Dr. Manhattan. <laughs> yeah, now now she's a foot fetish model? <laughs> it is it does kind of throw you off a bit and it speculates. I this is the kind of, this is how I felt after watching Lost for the first time. 
It's a very strange cartoon, but I, I am impressed by its humor. And, I mean, obviously it has a following for a reason. I mean, we wouldn't, we wouldn't even be discussing this right now because it probably would have just done this and that was it. You know, it never made it to a full series. Oh, gosh. I said Peter Chang didn't, earlier, didn't I? I can't remember. I hope I didn't. All right, Otherwise so that's like it for us with Eon <laughs> Flux. Let's go and discuss the Max. We're going to take a break real quick. We'll kick it into gear okay. with the Max. Most of us inhabit at least two worlds. The real world, where we're at the mercy of circumstance, and the world within, the unconscious. A safe place where we can escape. The Max shifts between these worlds against his will. Here, homeless, he lives in a box in an alley. The only one who really cares for him is Julie Winters, a freelance social worker. But in Pangea, the other world, he rules the Outback and is the protector of Julie, his jungle queen. There, he cares for her, but he always ends up back in the real world. And me, old Mr. Gong, <laughs> only I can see that the secret which unites them to destroy them, I could be helpful. Ah, screw it. I think I'll have some fun with them first. <laughs> All right, so we're talking about the Max now. Um, the Max is another really strange one, and it's from MTV. And uh, I don't know, Jacob, what do you feel about this cartoon? I don't know. As a kid, I was very confused, but I liked it. I mean, you know, to me, he was just like this big purple superhero that would travel between his, I thought it was his home world and then the real world. But it's not. Like I said, it's just a dream world. It definitely has to to, you know, touch on the subject of subconsciousness and alternate, you know, realities, par you know, parallel dimensions to an extent. But at the same, but the animation, I kid you not, was is still really out there. I think this is something that could still hold up to today. Oh, yeah. Um, I first heard of the Max. I had been reading Incredible Hulk, like, religiously, for, like, 200 issues. Right. And there's a run of uh, the Incredible Hulk. I think it was around P60 area. Uh, where Sam Keith was the artist. And I at the time, I didn't appreciate it, but then I would go back and revisit it, and every year I was like, wow, this is something really strange and unusual, and I'm kind of getting into it. And then he quit, and then he went over to Image Comics, and Image Comics had already done its big launch with Savage Dragon, Spawn, and stuff like that. And he came in kind of like the second run of like Hot Comics with the Max. And I saw it, and it was just one of the wildest things I'd ever seen in my life. And the cartoon came out yeah. and just pushed. It, it's all Sam Keith was all about pushing boundaries of what was possible. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right here. Oh God, you know this is a horrible scene right here. Uh, I mean, yeah, yeah. you know this girl. This you know even though I mean it doesn't matter whether she's a sex worker or not. I mean she. I'm not sure if he's like beating the crap out of her and robbing her or actually you know assaulting her yeah. sexually. And then the Max comes in and you know. He looked like nothing else in comic books. Almost every character in Image would remind you in one way or another, either either was intentional or unintentional, of a Marvel character. And you look at him and go, no, he is completely unique. There is nothing like the Max. Yeah, I know. But uh, what I thought was pretty funny, how it's like you think it's a narration, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, crap, I'm talking out loud again. Yeah. And then this scene here, I was like, who was that villain just now? The one that just took out that girl. But no, yeah, the Max was definitely original. And plus... He doesn't. He has uh, how he communicates is so strange because he has no mouth. He has no lower jaw. He just has giant, giant rabbit buck teeth. Yeah, I know, but look right here. You know, you can definitely tell they put in some uh, live animation shadow screen up against. Yeah, it's yeah, uh, just really it, colors the background. Well, what it feels like is Ralph Bakshi 
Uh, he was a, exactly. Yeah, he broke ground with. Uh, well, he didn't ever had much money, so he had to think of clever ways of getting an image across. And he did rotoscoping and mixing live action with animation. You know, and, and it was very unusual at the time, but it was also groundbreaking. And the Max seems to be heavily influenced in what Ralph Bakshi was attempting to do. Because, like I said, Marvel's very, very low budget. But by being low budget, you could really go edgy. Oh, indeed. But right here, as far as it goes with Max, it's like he doesn't just dream. It's like he thinks he's in another world. He's so sure. Yeah. As if he himself is just jumping between parallel dimensions and nobody's aware of it. Yeah, the uh, comic but, book lasted for 35 issues, and uh, the cartoon, I think, lasted 13, yeah, 13 episodes. So that's it's kind of surprising, because most uh, cartoons are just a sliver of what the comic book's existence is. Right. Right here, I mean, uh, you know, earlier in the narration, you know, Pangea, I was like, whoa, was he something, you know, prehistoric way before? Is that where he existed? Is that where he came from? Like, pre like you know, before uh, Neanderthals and, man you know... Modern caveman, and you know, it's just like you know, his origins are just a huge mystery. I never thought that this was available. I thought YouTube would be the only way to watch it, but um, you can order the entire series manufactured on demand through Amazon. Um, and those contain commentary to each episode by Sam and the director Greg Bonzo, which that's cool if you're a huge fan, grab that. Oh, definitely. Oh, so right, yeah, and plus, you know, bringing in a, a female care, you know, a female character like this, I think. Also, you know, to have someone the Max can relate to or can connect to somehow. Yet also, at the same time, I think she also had some, like, you know, definitely some, you know... Oh, gosh, I, I, I'm sorry. I lost my train of thought. No, it's okay. I'm kind of looking up, seeing what else uh, Sam Keith is up to these days since that ended. He's been working on Judge Dredd, uh, 30 Days of Night. Uh, he did covers for a comic book written by Anthrax, the band. Wow. Oh, wow, that's awesome. Yeah, he's been doing some Batman here and there. Zero Girl for the same company. But I've never heard of that one. Oh, you know what? I read his other series. He wrote a series kind of has like, it's not connected to the Max, but it has like that feel of the Max called Scratch. Uh, it was about werewolves. Oh, wow. I'll have to look into that. Oh, wow. Like I said, there's just so much mystery serenity cares. Except her, she seems like, you know, a good, a do-gooder freelance, you know, social worker. Yeah. And yet she's comfortable in what she's wearing. And, of course, everyone around her is going to be a sexist prick. Of course. Oh, gosh. I know. That's, you know, that was a huge, I mean, that was definitely a subject to be tackled in this cartoon. Because in a minute when she goes up to the, you know, the guy at the uh, office to get the Max out of, the, out of jail, you know, you listen to his dialogue and what he says, and you can tell straight up he's a sexist prick. Well, I'm looking at some of the other writers on the comic book, and he only had two other creators come in during that 35 episodes or 35 issues. Uh, Alan Moore, of course, being insanely influential, oh, one wow. of the greatest writers of all time. So you know he had some uh, interest in something as quality as the Max in order to come along, because Alan Moore does doesn't just jump on anything. He's not really a gun for hire. Oh yeah, I know. I mean, Alan Moore. I mean, if he's really interested, he will like if he really wants to be a part of something. He will reach over the desk and, like, grab you and shake you. <laughs> <laughs> and the other person was William Mesner Lopes. And William Mesner Lopes isn't talked about much, but there was a period where he was really killing it on The Flash and Impulse, which is Kid Flash. Uh, he did a really great job on that kind of stuff. And after that, he kind of he kind of went off the radar. He started doing more independent stuff. I don't know what he's doing now. But uh, all three yeah. really great guys. Okay. Yeah, and 
Listen, yeah, yeah, seriously, did you just hear what that cop said, though? Like, saying, like, oh, you know, we're dressed like that, you're sending off the wrong signals. No, she's not. Just because she's dressed like that doesn't mean she's asking for it, asshole. No, yeah, that's the thing about, uh, I mean, what is that about the clothing? Is it because you think of the sexual parts just so close to being seen that gives you an erection? And all of a sudden, that allows you to say, you know what, you were asking for it. No, actually, no. And they could say that about anything. I mean, there was there, there was an article about a year and a half ago about a woman who was uh, just walking in like baggy sweatpants and a frumpy uh, hoodie or whatever, and she still got attacked. And I know. Uh, it has nothing to do with what you're wearing. And I don't understand why people treat why you get treated in a certain way based on how you're dressed. And I think that's a little bit about the Max because he looks a certain way that you expect him to be a monster, a true yeah. monster. But it, it, it's uh, it, it's a stupid rule. I mean, you could have someone, I and mean, look at Lex Luthor. He's a perfect example of someone who looks clean cut, clean cut, professional, a, a good person, yet he's almost one of the most evil people on the planet, though he doesn't believe he is. You know, it's, it's a weird juxtaposition based on imagery. Right, and also, like, I mean, you know, rapists cause rape, nobody else. All right, so we don't want to end much. this on a sad note. Uh, that was kind of a, it, both cartoons are more mature and more sophisticated. So uh, I apologize if this episode kind of turned you off because we went darker than normal. But it's just going to happen. We can't just talk about little kid cartoons. We need to evolve into other things. And animation for grown-ups is actually really ignored. And I think it's kind of stupid. Overseas, animation is for grown-ups. A lot of animation is for grown-ups. Yet in America, oh, we yeah. treat it as if it's solely for comedy only if it's for grown-ups or kiddie stuff. You don't see a whole lot of action or sophisticated stuff for people above the age of 12. Uh, sadly, no, we don't. I mean, there was also... Um, Spawn. Well, was, oh, Spawn is one of the darkest yeah, cartoons Spawn. I've ever seen. That was one of the most brutal cartoons I've ever seen. My mom let me watch that as a kid. Of course, I didn't freak out. I wasn't too freaked out. My mom was just, you know, just like, whatever. I know my son's not going to, you know, go off being a murderous vigilante. Right. Or, a, you know demon child <laughs> in one way i probably was i don't know there, you know it was just three boys growing up you know raising three sons you know each a year apart yeah it was pretty tough we were pretty tough and quite rowdy <laughs> oh, that's good um all right everybody so that's it for us here at back in tunes check us out we just built a new page solely devoted to back in tunes with awesome artwork by my friend ron and um i should say editing is now being done I guess I want to say audio production value is being added <laughs> by Jemetsko.com. Uh, Jemetsko uh, is a really cool. It's Andrew Bargeron. He basically designs these awesome T-shirts that we both have, and uh, he does comic book here and there, and he does really great audio design. He was in a band called uh, Station, and I want to thank I want to thank him. He takes no pay from me for the promotion. You know, we kind of trade off. But if you're looking for someone to do some audio fixing on a podcast or recording, seriously, he's the guy to go to. Go to jemetsko.com, G-I-M-E-T-Z. I think I screwed that. Z-T-Z. You know what? He'll fix this. <laughs> He'll fix this as I'm saying it. G-I-M-E-T-Z-C-O? <laughs> oh, yeah, I think, yeah, C-O.com. That's right. .com, so, yes. Woo, you know how to spell. I do not. Plus, there's some really cool shirts on there, too. Yeah. All right, everybody, thank you again for all your support. We're getting some episodes out there again. I can't believe how people reacted to Thunder the Barbarian. Seriously, the most insanely popular episode I've ever had. This show was on for like one year. 
And I know so many people want more of it. Oh, gosh. I mean, if they're bringing back Masters of the Universe as a live-action movie, who knows what they'll do with Thundar the Barbarian. Yeah, a lot of these cartoons, they could use a, a return, at least a special. You know, hey, who doesn't want to see that? And we don't want to see any more crappy video, direct-to-video movies. We don't want to see any big-budget, bloated nonsense that has nothing to do with the cartoon. If you're going to buy the rights to turn into a movie, stick to the origin. You know, stick to I the know. plot. I know. Just, I mean, hopefully, hopefully Robert Rodriguez gets that right with uh, Fire and Ice. I hope. I hope he actually gets it made because he's not a hot commodity right now. You know, we should really do a, a Ralph Bakshi episode because he made five or six really great movies, a few crappy ones, but he is so influential. Um, let us oh yeah, I mean, he... cover that man. That sounds awesome. Oh, definitely. We should do that, especially the. I mean, for me, what really got me into Ralph Bakshi was the Lord of the Rings animated movies. Yeah, mine was American Pop. Uh, we could do that. We could do Don Bluth. Um, a couple other guys that like, did the movies. We should only do that. All right, um, we're kind of winding out here. Um, thank you, everybody, for your support, and uh, I'm signing off. All right, good night, everybody. Namaste and good luck. After years of peaceful existence on the distant planet Valoria, Questar and his people were forced into battle. The power of their step crystal ripped a hole in the fabric of time, sending them backward to prehistoric Earth. Unaware that at the same moment the evil Emperor Krulos was plotting to capture the Step Crystal with his own grotesque Rulon forces. And so the battle continues in a new place in time with Dino Riders. Alright, everybody, welcome to Back in Tunes. Uh, this episode, we're kind of doing a whole dinosaur theme because Jurassic World is coming out real soon. We're talking about uh, what dinosaur cartoons should we watch? We watched four of them. One hurts so bad. Uh, Dino saucers suck so bad. <laughs> I do not remember it ever being that like dumb and goofy. I, I was I was blown away. I was surprised. Oh. oh. Well, before we get too far to this, I'm Michael. That's Jacob. And hey, everybody. We're just going to be discussing a couple dinosaur cartoons. We decided uh, decided to settle on Dino Riders. Um, what was the other one? Extreme Dinosaurs. And yes. I think I'll throw out a little bit of Cadillacs and Dinosaurs because I got to watch it, but you didn't. So they, they all have kind of a theme. But yeah, the Dinosaucers, I actually wanted to go back in time and stop the production. If I had a choice between stopping Hitler or stopping the production of Dinosaucers, man, I'd be torn. I would be That's torn. a pretty big decision. I mean, but then again, <laughs> then again, you know, we both would disrupt the time-space continuum and we'd probably have an alternate future. Who knows? Who knows what could have happened? Yeah, but I, then again, none of us have a time-traveling DeLorean, and it's no, not possible right now, so it can't happen. Ah, damn. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, we're going to just start off with Dino Riders, The Adventure Begins, episodes up on YouTube. Uh, oddly enough, this one's a little bit longer because someone left the commercials in, which I don't mind. Uh, it's kind of nostalgic watching these old cartoon or commercials. They always, oh, yeah. The, the, com the funny thing is, the commercials that would air during cartoons are light years away from the car uh, commercials that would air with, like, the nighttime TV shows. And, it, you know, almost all of them are, like, cereal or sugary stuff and uh, definitely toys. <laughs> all right, oh, so good not on YouTube, Get the toys. Dino Riders, let's go. So, of course, the beginning is a little long. So the first episode is kind of strange because it has this, like, rotoscopes, odd hand-drawn kind of opening. Oh, I thought we were watching the uh, AHA music video, Take On Me. <laughs> it, wow, I wonder if it's from the same people, because it definitely... Oh, this kid's going to be in the AHA video. Oh, wait. Uh-oh. 
No, but it, it, it's fascinating. I like this kind of animation. It's pretty cool. Too, by the way, that looks like Stephen Dore, doesn't it? Doesn't that look like Stephen Dore? I think that, that I think that, that might be Stephen Dorff. This must be one of his early acting jobs. You know, what? I'm gonna look this up because wow, I I've seen the gate like 90 times, and that really looks like him. Yeah, I was. Yeah, I know. Oh God, that was pretty awesome. It's a pretty good, awesome, awesome introduction sequence. I will say that. Yeah, it's really um, unusual for Stephen Dorff. Hey, his name's right there. No kidding. No, Frank Wilker. Oh, Frank Wilker. Oh my God, he's in everything. Peter Cullen too. Dang man, so many well-known voice actors that pretty much, yeah, that have done almost every single cartoon out there. That's so strange though. It's not in his IMDb. <laughs> Maybe he had it removed. Maybe you can do that when you're a kid. Like if you commit a crime before you're at a certain age, that you can you know have it expunged. Well, maybe you can do that with IMDb credits. Probably, yeah. I think that's what happened. <laughs> but yeah, no, that's totally Stephen Dorff. Or who knows? He was probably like one of the main. That's his name too. That's strange. That's probably he was probably one of the main kids in the cartoon. Also, okay, now it's going into space. Oh, cool. I what kind of anime? It was really good animation for what? Like what? Late eighties? Yeah, this is top notch. Wow. Well, it's Marvel oh. Productions, of course. At the time, they were the elite. You know, they uh, they bought out Frizz Freeling's company that was known for doing uh, like the Pink Panther cartoons. So, <coughs> you know, they already had a good production team in line, and then they launched their own stuff, and they really escalated things after the Spider-Man cartoon made so much money for them. And then Spider-Man Amazing Friends, Incredible Hulk, they were really, oh, yeah. really good, and then they went out of business, and ah, uh, damn. I know, it happens. Not everybody wants to watch cartoons anymore because cartoons promote this and that, yet they're constantly promoting, like, teen pregnancy and all these, like, you know, teenage pre-drama shows. Oh, yeah. Uh, teaching. So, yes, this is, of course, the ruling that they said that cartoons could now become, like, basically half-hour commercials for toys, which they didn't allow before, like, oh. 1982. Uh, they allowed it, but, of course, it had to be some sort of redeeming value, especially if there was violence. That's why, um, you ever notice when you watch G.I. Joe, at the end, it's like, and knowing's half the battle and stuff like that? It was kind yeah. of ruling that said you had to put in some sort of public or service announcement to make up for the fact that it's basically a half-hour commercial. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. I mean, it's, it's just not fair that cartoons had to be treated like, you know, they were just advertisements or commercials for little, just for little kids only. Yeah. Like, you know, well, then again, we want to have Transformers, GoBots, G.I. Joe, Thundercats, you know, He-Man. Disney. Yeah, so, well, Disney existed before the whole toy thing, but I get, I get what you're saying. Uh, so, Dino Riders was a line of toys from Tyco. Um, I was doing toys at this time. I hadn't given them up before I went on to, like, baseball cards and stuff like that. Uh, but I don't remember anybody who had Dino Riders. I don't even remember the commercials or the toys, but I do remember the comic book from Marvel. And that's about it. No, well, hey, you know, since you just mentioned Marvel Productions, it makes sense that they did the comic book. They had the rights to it. But so, like this, this is a pretty cool setup. I mean, you know, people from the future traveling through time to prehistoric Earth. Okay, so I should say this: the creator of Dino Riders also has a very strong connection to Marvel in the fact that he is Jerry Conway, who is very notorious during the late '60s, early '70s, being one of the first guys to take over the writing from Stan Lee. He is the co-creator of Punisher. He's also responsible for killing off Gwen Stacy. Oh, wow, he's a dark writer. Yeah, he knows how to switch things up. Yeah, he is. Yeah. Uh, there's an excellent interview that he did for uh, a podcast called Word Balloon, where this writer just basically does a whole career, uh, um, you 
know, interview about his whole career and stuff like that. And it's really great. He also is the co-creator of Firestorm for DC. Oh, wow. I think he was responsible, though, for the worst era of Justice League of America. It was called Justice League Detroit, where they had nobody except, like, Aquaman and Martian Manhunter. And the rest of the team was just terrible. But I'm not sure. What? Okay, there there was a point where Justice League was completely falling apart. They had none of the big league guys. And their home was not on a spaceship or a really cool headquarters. It was like in a cave in Detroit. Well, I mean, that kind of setting couldn't make sense right now. Yeah. Considering they're bankrupt and going to K. Well, it's also completely ridiculous that Aquaman could be their leader. He's like there for a half hour. He's like, you know what? I can't do any monitor, you know, uh, watch or anything. Mm, I have to go. No. This is like. It's 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 it's, something like that is just set up for you know street heroes like you know Huntress or Nightwing or the Question. Yeah, not freaking Aquaman. I can back up Martian Manhunter, but I can see also why the sales suffer because Martian Manhunter is kind of a cult hero. So yeah, Mm. whatever. I guess notorious for one of the worst eras of DC or Justice League ever. So I'm trying to guess like the the setup here for these villains is like they were. They're like mutated amphibians, flies, underwater animals. I'm like, okay, are these species that were going extinct? And now they're kind of getting revenge on the human race? Like, what was the backstory on that? Yeah, you know, this is one of the most bonkers cartoons I've ever seen, but at the same time, it's so entertaining. It's Okay, there's a movie from 1982 called Yor, The Hunter from the Future, where they combine Star Wars and Conan the Barbarian. Oh, wow. Yeah, and it has stuff like this, like giant uh, triceratops. You know, and they're fighting it, and at the same time, they have like, stormtroopers with laser guns. It's a completely batshit insane movie. Wow. I'm just going to say, the concept here, like, what they're doing with the dinosaurs is, like, arming them with all their technology. I mean, I don't know, are the elements from Earth? Well, then again, it's a cartoon, so you can't really get into it. Kids yeah. just love it because, you know, it's awesome. So I was about to say, like, the elements of Earth, they're, like, sufficient, you know, energy, uh, energy resources? I guess. But then again, with their technology, they're probably able to synthesize it better. Sorry, I'm looking at Jerry Conway trying to find anything that he's done lately. Because uh, he went off to do TV for a while, uh, like he did this cartoon. But he also did tons of TV, did a couple movies. He wrote Conan the Destroyer, which is kind of the kid version. It's like the PG family version of Conan, which uh, is still entertaining. But, you know, come on. No sex, no gore. Nah. Well, I, did, I thought it was pretty bloody. I thought it was still pretty bloody. Well, and it had Will Chamberlain. Yeah, when they take out that monster at the end, they rip off his nose. That's pretty disgusting, actually. Yeah, his horn, yeah. But, okay, I, I'm pretty sure that little kid is Steven Dorff. You know what? I can't find it in his IMDb, but, man, did it said his name, though, right? Didn't it? Yeah, Steven Dorff. D-O-R-F-F. Also, uh, Jerry Conway wrote Fire and Ice. Have you ever seen this animated movie? By Ralph Bakshi, yes. Yeah, yeah he also co-wrote that before he did Conan the Destroyer. He went on to do tons of TV, Father Dowling Mysteries, Diagnosis Murder, stuff that wow. doesn't even make sense, Jake and the Fat Man. But then he went back and did Hercules, uh, he did the Batman Animated Series, and crap loads of Law and Order, which I think Oh, wow. Time. I'm not surprised that he did Batman the Animated Series, considering like what he's created and you know, what he's done with his storytelling, yeah. especially like being co-creator of The Punisher. But... And I will say right here, okay, I want to say a little fact about the Tyrannosaurus Rex. There, I think there's been evidence that concludes that, or that supports the theory that the T-Rex was more of a scavenger because of its arms. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he may have a big old jaw, but it's like he really couldn't reach anything, and they probably exaggerated his size. Hmm. Well, I didn't 
know anything about that. When did this happen? I think this happened like about two, three years ago. Why does he have such tiny arms? Do they think that he didn't need to hold up anything to his mouth or hold things down and tear it apart? It's so strange. I don't know. I mean, like, they, I don't even think they could use the digging purposes. He had to use his mouth. Was, maybe that's why he was so pissed, you know? It's like, oh, I can't even eat a bowl of cereal. Can't jerk off. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. It's like, especially when mating, it's like you can't really hold the person down if they needed to. But then again, animals... Don't really get into it like we can. They probably look at us like we're a bunch of weirdos. Yeah, I know. Even like like Louis C.K. was like doing it instead of uh, his show. He was like doing a little stand-up gig at the beginning of his show, and he's just like, "Well, he, he's there. He's doing that. Why are they making weird faces? He's coming on her tits. That's weird. <laughs> They're probably making fun of us." I oh my God, Turbo Hopper! We've officially gone from a PG show to a PG thirteen show, but I think I think you know what you know. We tried to keep the show as. Uh, low-key as possible try to be family friendly but i think we got to the point where i've discovered our audience is all grown up so fuck it (laughs) (laughs) yeah okay i think okay i definitely remember this tyco this turbo hopper oh man tyco rc oh my gosh they made so many toys you know while watching this i got really nostalgic not because i've ever seen dino riders before but when I listened to the voice, I, list, I looked at the style that it was animated in, I was like, oh, this takes me back. And I looked at the names, of course, the same guys that we're always used to. Uh, Peter Cullen, Transformers, you know, Optimus Prime. We got Rob Paulson. Frank Walker. Rob Paulson, amazing in the whole Warner Brothers era of, like, Animaniacs and, you know, Wacko, Yakko, and Dot. Uh, Frank Welker, of course. The other names, not so much. Townsend Coleman sounds familiar. Jack Angel sounds familiar. Okay. Uh, Townsend Coleman did Michelangelo on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Jack Angel, I'm almost certain that is. Charlie Adler, I've seen his name plenty of times. Oh, wow. Um, Jack Angel did a bunch of like the Hanna-Barbera cartoons, and he played a couple characters in Transformers and G.I. Joe. He's just one of those really familiar guys. Wow. Yeah, no, Frank Welker, but yeah, Frank Welker, I, he's... Gosh, pretty much almost everything yeah, that you can I think of. Ninety percent of the cartoons we've covered on this show has Frank Walker's name all over it. Exactly, especially let's see, real like I said, real Ghostbusters. He's in that. Um, he was also best known for. I th- I'm pretty sure was it? Yeah, he was voice of Fred. Yeah, I was gonna say Scooby Doo is probably his most well known, but he pops Fred up in and Scooby Doo. Yeah, not just movies though. Uh, I mean, not just animation. He shows up in movies a lot of time, too. You're just like looking, who's the voice of this? Oh, well, Frank Walker. Shockwave and Soundwave also in Transformers. Galvatron. Uh, Dr. Claw. I thought, Galvatr- I thought Galvatron was uh, Leonard Nimoy. Well, in the movie, movie anyway. it was. In the cartoon, no, because they couldn't afford it. Was a, he was he was Megatron. And he was also a boo in Aladdin. <laughs> what the hell was that? That's awesome. I know, and Curious George. He was also Curious George. We can't forget that. Dude, what voice was it that I told you to practice? Oh, we were going to do an intro. Oh, uh, Jeff Gold- Gold- uh, we, uh, we were trying to do a... Uh, I think we were trying to do a uh, Jeff Goldblum, you know, for tonight's show. Yeah. Did you, <laughs> did you ever figure out how to do it? I uh, I think I uh, might have figured out something. Of course, I'd have to reconfigure the... You know, it turns out my teleport is a gene splicer. <laughs> <laughs> So I'd, I have to go and reconfigure it and teach it that, you know, not to try to make the duplicate or try to add in filaments to, <laughs> to can't do it without laughing. What, is that your Jeff Goldblum impression? Yeah. Oh, no. Jeff Goldblum is not in your wheelhouse. I'm sorry. I should. 
I know I'm horrible. I can't. It's just so tough to do. I'll have to. I have to work on it. I was like, I thought you were just going over the dialogue, what to say as Jeff Goldblum, and then you were gonna go into it. And I was like, oh wait, no, you're doing it now. See, you're pretty much a master of uh, impressions. I've discovered this over the last few episodes, and I'm pretty sure you're gonna be able to figure it out. Yeah. Uh, so, okay. But uh, back to yeah, Dino Rider. Sorry, we got it off a tangent here. It only lasted 14 episodes. Uh, that's not a total surprise. A lot of the syndicated shows that had to do with toys. They're on the lower end. They usually didn't last more than like a 13 episode run. Oh yeah, no. Plus, it was also a high budget cartoon as well. Just from looking at it. Yeah. Like even though this is like a VHS recording, my gosh, it still looks good. Yeah, it looks it looks really great. I was I was just stunned the second I saw it. Now, while the episodes only lasted 13, uh, the toy line went for three years. So they had a, a new line every Christmas, which is a surprise. Oh, it is. No, I mean, there's only so much you can do with this, and there's only so many dinosaurs to choose from. However, it's the, you know what I found was like kind of interesting, what I wish it would explain, those little stones, those little uh, tablets around their neck where they're able to, like, you know, communicate with the dinosaurs through, like, you know, some kind of telepathy, which I thought was a pretty interesting aspect. I'm like, okay, so what, does it focus on certain electromagnetic patterns? Uh <laughs> You know, with their consciousness. Yeah, it's kind of it, uh, odd. It's it's an interesting concept, but not everything you can explain. Of course, a lot of stuff that is truly astonishing, sci-fi wise, it's kind of hard to explain. Like we were like we were saying during the Mad Max Mad Max episode we just recorded, where it's like, well, the hand is cool and everything, but how does it work? But yeah, this looks like it's telepathy. Uh, it still makes much more sense than the headmasters doing Transformers. That's for sure. Oh yeah. Looking at these guys, I'm reminded. Have you ever seen a movie called Hell Comes to Frogtown? Oh my gosh, no I haven't. <laughs> uh, it's a that, movie with uh, Roddy Piper, and uh, it's a post-apocalyptic Mad Max-style movie where he goes to a town, apparently the frogs have been exposed to nuclear waste, and now they talk, and they wear clothes, and they run cities. It's a very weird movie. Here's the thing, is that there's like three sequels. Do they all have Roddy Roddy Piper? Or no, Roddy? he's just in the first one. The second one has Lou Ferrigno, and uh, I think nobody in the third or fourth one. Yeah, nobody even cared. Once they got to part three, they were done. <laughs> uh, the funny, I always remember the second tape was green. Like they just... Oh my gosh, I remember this so much. This Actually, these, this car set right here. I Sorry to this. cut you off. Yeah, I had this, but I only had part of it. You could uh, build and add on, I think. I don't think this is the... Well, maybe this is the whole set for this particular collection. Oh, Zero Gravity, yeah. You know what, I had something very similar. But uh, the engines always got... Uh, like burned up i had a dog so i think some of the fur got into it and maybe just fuzz in general so it would clog the path so the metal wouldn't connect right and i would hit it and it would go and go and go and then all of a sudden it just smell like burning hellfire right oh gosh that is awful yes yeah, you burned it out man oh yeah <laughs> and uh or you go too fast and they shoot right off the track and crack somebody in the face so yeah <laughs> now this concept i mean like i said the ship does remind me of transformers just like the whole yeah, just like, especially like the whole scenario, you know, they're escaping from a certain planet and they're being chased by the enemies, like overwhelmingly chased by the enemy, which is, you know, kind of like how it was on, you know, between the Autobots and Decepticons and Transformers. You know what well, I at least thought of, you know, what's hilarious is that we were sitting there talking about, oh, dinosaur cartoons. What cartoons had dinosaurs in them? Duh. Transformers. We, we already did that. The last Dinobots. Episode. Yeah, the Dinobots. Damn it. <laughs> Oh my gosh, because dinosaurs are cool. Everybody loves dinosaurs, don't they? Yeah, uh, so while we're, we're, we're talking about this real quick, the one thing I'll say is there's another uh, 
comic connected kind of dinosaur cartoons I watched, you didn't get to watch, was called Cadillacs and Dinosaurs. It's from comic creator Stephen Grant. In fact, it started off as a comic book and then became an animated series. Very oh. unique. Something just very strange about, uh, if I remember the concept correctly, the dinosaurs have been underground evolving and they come up to the earth in the future, like 20 years from now, and basically lay waste to everything. They blame mankind for every, you know, the death of all their brothers, and it becomes like a post-apocalyptic world. So it's humans versus dinosaurs, but they have like cars and, you know, rocket launchers and stuff like that. It, it was actually kind of a cool wow. idea. But the animation is very peculiar, and I didn't particularly care for it. Right. I as far okay, just like Cadillac dinosaurs. I'm like, okay, so these dinosaurs are dressed up as pimps going around in their caddies. Uh, <laughs> oh my god, that would have been an infinitely better cartoon. <laughs> Something like Fritz the Cat. <laughs> Give me some okay, but I will have to say, okay, so uh, okay, I'll give them okay everything else besides you know the destruction of you know the whole dinosaur species. You can't really get mad at us for that, but you can get mad at us for everything else. <laughs> like literally everything else, like global warming and. You know, certain uh, species going extinct, but no, let not destroying your dinosaur no, race. No, no. <laughs> uh, I might have the concept wrong, but uh, I was wrong. It's not Stephen Grant. Why did I think it was Stephen Grant? Uh, it's based on a comic book, but uh, Stephen D'Souza, the creator of uh, Die Hard, uh, Forty Hours, yes. and that... the absolutely horrendous Street Fighter, is the guy behind the cartoon. The horrendous Street Fighter movie, right? Right. What I say? Just hey, I'm not talking. Oh, whoops. Yeah, because we can't be talking about the cartoon. The cartoon was fantastic. No, no, no. But no. And also, yeah, a, a huge majority of these villains are, like, well, at least the lackeys, anyway, they're all, like, cobras and snakes. That just seems kind of weird. It's like, do you think they, they would have more dominance over toads? That's weird. I'm looking this up, and, and I don't know this guy, Mark Schultz. He did a comic called Xenozoic Tales. And that's what Cadillacs and Dinosaurs spun off from. But I don't remember that comic in the... I remember there was a video game of this for like the Genesis or something. People were talking about Cadillacs and Dinosaurs like it was some great thing, but the comic didn't last very long, I don't believe, and neither did the cartoon. But if you're, you know, if you're curious, the whole thing's out on DVD. It's also um, on YouTube. Wait, I'm sorry, say that again? Oh, it's Cadillacs and Dinosaurs. I was saying the entire series is on DVD. It's also on YouTube if you want to check it out. Oh, okay, got it. Oh, Cadillacs and Dinosaurs was a Capcom game. Oh, it was? Put on. Yeah, but it doesn't say what console it was. I think it was just an arcade game. It had to have been on a console. Nobody just puts them out for the arcade. But it looks like, uh, if you look it up, it looks a lot like Street Fighter. It looks like the same engine. Did they fight dinosaurs? I don't know. Yeah, that was pretty weird. Yeah, I don't think it doesn't say it was for any console. I would think maybe it would be like the Neo Geo or something, something high-end. Yeah, it had to be on something because I don't remember that game at all. That, you know what's funny is some of the villains kind of remind me of He-Man characters, like the lesser lesser characters on He-Man, or are like uh, She-Ra, <laughs> crew. Yeah. Oh, gosh, speaking of, I hope, I hope He-Man makes a comeback soon. You know, they should be making a movie. I don't understand. I thought after Transformers killing it at the box office, and, you know, G.I. Joe's doing well, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles did very well, why hasn't there been, like, a plethora of toy-based movies why are we not seeing thundercats it's possible now we have great cgi we have great animation out there why can't they do that thundercats live action see, still looks yeah. silly. uh he-man though would translate very well 
Oh no, it definitely will. Uh, I mean, come on, we've got Battleship, and that was a piece of that was yeah, kind of that was pretty bad. But then because Battleship bombed, they did Ouija. Now critics hated Ouija, but I actually thought it was pretty entertaining, and not because another director. I just you know I'm not that kind of you can't buy my uh, affection. Uh, just because another guy doesn't mean I I love the movie, but it was actually a pretty decent movie. Uh, so Hasbro's back on you know back on track. Yeah, Battleship was a big bag of ass. I did not finish that movie. Yeah, no, I can I. Uh, it's like it doesn't matter who you're in it. It's like I love Rihanna, but I mean that wasn't enough. Taylor Kitsch is cool, as was that one guy from uh, uh, True Blood. I keep forgetting his name. Peter Sarsgaard. Oh, is he, he? No, no, no. It's uh, Peter Sarsgaard's a different guy. He's the one from uh, Boys Don't Cry and Green Lantern. Uh, yeah, he, that's right. He was Hal. He wasn't Hal. What'd you say? It was who? Uh, no, no, no. He wasn't Hal. He was um Hector. Was it Hector. Alex Sarsgaard? Like Alex Sarsgaard. Yeah, something like that. It's, he's the one you have to watch. son. Um, you know, it's funny, though. I'm watching Dino Riders here, and this could easily translate to the big screen. I mean, you already got dinosaurs, which are easy to master. Now just strap some people on there and use them as a... Just load them with rocket launchers and kick some butt. I know, and plus, we don't really need CGI villains. No. <laughs> like, well, we can just use guys, old prosthetics. Are, the bad guys are going to have to modify, or they are going to have to CGI, because they look ridiculous. No, some of them, yeah. But also... Oh gosh, what was I gonna say? Oh, it yeah. The hero's hair oh, yeah. Dude, Liam Neeson was also in that one too. He was also in Battleship. Oh. Yeah, Liam Neeson. Uh, yeah, Liam Neeson. <laughs> I've actually yeah. said that more than once. Liam Neeson. <laughs> um, I think that's it for us with Dino Riders. I, we really don't need to finish it. Uh, well, it's, it's pretty much just finished. Did we just finish? Well, that was awfully coincidental. Yes, it was. Like I said, it could transition to the sc- uh, screen. Plus, you need something. Kids need to get interested. There needs to be more cartoons these days, and this is something that definitely needs to come back. Yeah. I mean, shoot, only one season, and, you know, I'm pretty sure some parents were very nostalgic. It's like, oh, cool, we'll see what they do with this new cartoon. All right, awesome. I can show it to my kids. My kids could get into it. All right, so that's it Looking with up. us on Dino Riders. Let's pause for a second, and we'll jump to our next cartoon. Something's really rocking on planet number three. Modern man's got prehistoric company. since then although that would have been a good idea to do too yeah i don't know dink the last dinosaur i think is a spinoff of that of course there's other famous dinosaurs and cartoons we talked about dinobots uh we're gonna do flintstones so don't think we ignored that but flintstones i think is perfect with jetsons it it 
it's so much more than just being about in prehistoric times that it doesn't really fit in with uh, with this theme. And uh, there was another one that I was thinking of, but I just forgot it. It was a dinosaur cartoon that I thought was complete ass, and I can't remember. <laughs> so I guess it's good that I forgot. Right, yeah. No, okay, so I think I do remember this. It was, uh, it was It's by the same animation studios that did Street Sharks, and I think it was on around the same time, and there were some spinoff episodes. I think I remember watching those as a kid. Yeah, so usually we do cartoons that are 20 years old or older. Uh, this one's almost. It's from uh, 1997, so we're kind of close. I'm not going to be a too much of a stickler. We've, we've gone beyond before with, uh, what was it, the Avengers one we did last month or two months ago? So... But in general, we try to stay the classic. Oh, wow. Did you know this is on for 52 episodes? 52 episodes. That's good. That's oh, pretty wow. much That's like a lot, what? A lot more than... Well, I, I think... Uh, Street Dinosaurs is okay, but I think I'm good with one episode. I'm not the kind of guy who would sit down and watch a whole series, whereas I would watch all Dino Riders. I just wish the other two were switched. Dino Riders looks like it's the kind of thing that could have gone for 52 episodes. Yeah, but then again, well, this one was probably like a huge hit, too. This was I know, a Canadian uh, company, I believe, because the only name I recognize here is Gary Chalk, who is known for a lot of voice work, but also a lot of on-screen stuff, but mainly Canadian. Um. Also, who else? No, who's the voice of the main T-Rex guy, the one with the cannons on his shoulder? Uh, T-Rex. Is his name T-Bone? I believe T-Rex. so. Here, let me, Tyrannosaurus, let me look at the team's leader. Yeah, so Scott McNeil. Sounds familiar. Sounds like the kid from, uh, nope, that's not who I thought it was. Uh, you know, I've seen Scott McNeil. He's in that documentary about voice actors. He was in Beast Wars. He did four characters there. He was in Gundam Wing, Inuyasha. I don't know what Stormhawks is. I'm not sure what it is, but I know him from Gundam Wing. He was Duo. Ah. He was also X-Men and X-Men Evolution. It came out around 2000 when everybody was in high school, and he was, like their, he was of course, Wolverine. He's their mentor. Oh, I and, that series. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, he's a, yeah, no Scott McNeil is in so many... I mean, pretty much almost every cartoon I watched. And, of course, Gary Chalk, he's the voice of the, the villain, Bad Rap. And he was also the voice of Optimus Primal in uh, Beast Wars as well. Now, if you look at Scott McNeil's history of how much work he's done, now, on the side where it says his most prominent characters, they're not that well known. But if you look at any cartoon that's basically made in the last 20, 30 years, he is somehow involved. It's amazing. This I, My jaw is on the floor looking at yeah, he was also the voice of Piccolo in, uh, I think, when uh, Dragon Ball Z like first started uh, being translated to English. Well, he's in Reboot. He did tons of characters in Reboot, which is one of my favorite cartoons. Oh, yeah. League of Super oh, Evil, man. I used to watch that. He-Man, G.I. Joe, Double Dragon. Oh, my gosh. We'll be discussing Double Dragon in a couple months here. Oh, there's a cartoon yeah, he... called Dino Babies. Gross. Yeah, he was the voice of uh, Jimmy Lee. He was like a, he was uh, Billy's brother. Wow. That's he was also the voice of... The... He was also the voice of, uh, oh yeah, in the 2002 uh, reboot of Masters of the Universe, he was Beast Man, Co- uh, Ram Man, uh, Stratos, Cobra Khan. Oh my gosh, he was so, he, yeah, he voiced a million people. Wait, are you talking about Gary Chalk or Scott McNeil? Because I was talking about Scott McNeil. Oh, Scott McNeil. Okay, just checking. Yeah, no, although Gary Chalk, he was the voice of um, Man at Arms as well. Yeah, I've seen mostly like his live action stuff. I just watched something with him. It was bugging the crap out of me. I think it was uh, some cheap robot movie. I can't remember. Doesn't matter. You see his face all the time. I think he was on Stargate for a while too. All right. So this is from Deke. You know, we've only covered a few cartoons from Deke because I feel like they weren't that prominent with high quality stuff. We Inspector Gadget. 
which we haven't discussed yet, which I want to, but I couldn't find a good combination with it. We have Captain Planet. We have Sonic the Hedgehog, which we haven't done yet either. Wow. There's a lot of good cartoons here that we just never really explored. Oh, uh, we haven't explored yet. Ha-ha. Ha-ha. We're only, we're only a year and a half into this. we got four years or so worth of good material. Though there is a point where we're going to run out of good cartoons, and we're going to be like, screw it, we're changing it from back in tunes to trash tunes. We're going to just rip apart terrible, terrible <laughs> cartoons. <laughs> uh, that, sounds, that could work. That sounds like a good idea. Well, we got our first taste with uh, Battletoads, where I think at the end, in the last five minutes, we're like, fuck it, we're stopping it. We can't take anymore. This is so bad. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Just that, looking that, at it. Yeah, no. During the Ocean Group, yeah. uh, voice actors, yeah, he was the voice of Piccolo. Oh, Blue Man Kuma. You know, he's a Canadian actor, too. You see him all the time. If you type on him, he played the character Hard Rock. He, uh, he, he's one of those guys. Oh, darn it, space is not on Wikipedia. You look it up on IMDb, though, you know. Possibly. What's his name again? Blue Man Kuma. I know him from the Robocop TV series. He uh, took over for the captain. Oh, yes. No, I have. I do remember him. Oh, my gosh. I remember seeing him in, um, I remember seeing him in, uh, Look Who's Talking. He was the one, he was in charge of the, uh, old folks' home. Yes. Uh, there is, so this is a complete series is on DVD in Australia, so I guess you're going to have to import them. Uh, not in America, so screw it, you got YouTube. Who needs to buy the DVD if someone cool is going to be able to provide that for us? Oh, of course. Thank you, YouTube, for now, until <laughs> you become totally, well, then again, they've already got too many ads running. Yeah, you know what, the whole ad thing is driving me up the wall. I can't even watch, I can't even watch a trailer which is two and a half minutes long without watching a trailer before. If you're like, I, I don't recall hitting this uh, trailer, and then you realize, oh, it's a commercial, damn it. Yeah, he was also, you know, he was also in, yeah, Blue was also in uh, Masters of the Universe. He played Decker in Masters of the Universe versus the Snake Man. Yeah, there's certain companies that wouldn't go with known, you know, like American known voice actors, they would go to Canada to save some money. Or that other company was based there, like Nelvana is a Canadian company. He was also the voice of Gigabyte and Reboot. Yeah, he was, oh my gosh, he was in a bunch of the cartoons we just mentioned. Uh, you know, I didn't realize this, but you know what, we, we did Street Sharks last month, and one of the characters we talked about, or one of the spin-offs we talked about was the fact that Dino Avengers uh, was the original name of Extreme Dinosaurs. I thought Dino Avengers was a good name, but everything around 1997 all of a sudden turned to Extreme. Oh, wow. <laughs> I just remember, all of a sudden, everybody from, like, 1997 to about 2003, everything was extreme Doritos, extreme hamburgers, extreme Oh, cheese. yeah. You know, it's just like, oh, it's because the X Games came out, and all of a sudden blew everybody away at how huge it was, and all of a sudden, everything, everything had to be extreme. And then it was unleashed. Pretty much, yeah. While everything was uh, unleashed. And uh, I'm trying to think, raw. You know, there's all sorts of code words they put in there. It was supposed to be, yeah, this is a new thing, man. Take out that old thing and toss it out. No, Mickey, you gotta, you know, you gotta think of this catchphrase. It's stupid. Right. And then you just mentioned Robocop Alpha Commando. Yeah, he was, Blue was also the voice of Sergeant Reed. Oh, I wasn't saying so much the cartoon. He is in the, there was a live action TV show of Robocop. That oh, I remember that. Yeah. You know, Robocop's one of those, we were talking about doing an episode where we discuss, um, like R-rated movies that got turned into kids' cartoons, which boggles the mind. Like, how is there a Rambo cartoon? How is there a Robocop? Robocop makes a little more sense than Rambo, but there's some, like, Conan the Barbarian, the cartoon. You're like, ah, oh, that seems like it'd be toned down. You know, certain things that, like, it shouldn't be rated PG. It should be rated R, but whatever. Right. Okay. So, like, just for, Okay, so, so let's go back to uh, Extreme Dinosaurs. 
So, of course, this guy right here, acting like a CEO, but, you know, acting so busy, he's like, I don't have time for this. Like, blah, 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 blah. I got to do business. Like, you're a freaking archaeologist what, or, or and a paleontologist. What else What else do you need to do? Huh. I don't really like, uh, I hate to be a dingleberry, but uh, I don't like this look. This post Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles look. The, uh, from 19, I would say, 92. Was that when the X-Men cartoon premiered, 1992? Yeah, I think it was 91. I could be wrong. That was the kickoff of this whole new era of cartoons, like action cartoons that just had a look that I didn't care for. So from like 92 or 91, you said, until probably around the time this cartoon came out, I don't like the looks. I, I think uh, there's something about it that just doesn't appeal to me. Um, it's not that the stories aren't any good, but the animation is really ugly. It looks almost as bad as... Uh, the late 70s, early 80s look. It's just, there's not a lot of character. Now, you had other companies like, you know, Ren and Stimpy going on. Uh, <laughs> that was with a... cartoons. You know, stuff with real stylized look, you know, Cat Dog and Space Ghost. Uh, you know, something very peculiar and um, unusual about their look. The Head. Have you ever seen that cartoon, The Head? Oh, yes. Oh, no, from the Oddities. I remember that whole lineup. Yeah, the Neon Flux, Flux there's, Mac, there's, there's and that. There was a lot of cartoons coming out that had a very unique look, and I just, I don't like this. It looks generic to me. Yeah, no, there's really not too much to this. I will give you that. And those robots, that's something I'd see in, like, Mega Man. oh, gosh, the Hulk cartoon and yeah. Mega Man. Though Mega Man had a really good design to it. That it did. I mean, I'm hoping Mega Man does come back in as, as another cartoon. Do you think, I mean, they've got to do something with that character. Do you think the problem with these cartoons is the fact that kids were watching the ones from the 80s going, well, that doesn't look like the toy I have in my hand. I'm literally looking at it off of this Prime the toy, and I'm looking at the cartoon. They're way, way different. Have you ever actually looked at Optimus Prime, the original toy? It looks nothing like the character in the cartoon. Yeah. So I wonder if kids I wholeheartedly agree. I'm like... Yeah, I wonder if kids were complaining, and then that's when the uh, companies and the director got together and said, okay, these have to look exactly like the toy. And maybe that's why the, there's not very much stylized look to them. Probably, yeah, that could that could be what it is because you know, kids will get upset and they'll want to returns. They're just not wanted anymore. You know, oh, kids are complicated. Yeah. <laughs> I apologize. I feel like I'm dominating this uh, this episode. Uh, go ahead. If you got some stuff to say about this, go ahead. Because you watched this cartoon when it was on. I have never seen it before. I think I remember like a few episodes. I th for me, it was a. Uh, for me, it was really mainly just uh, Street Sharks. I'm not even sure I was even at home in time to watch this, or maybe my brothers wanted to watch something else. You know, because there's three of us, we'd fight over what what's on and what we should watch. Yeah. Until my parent, until you know, my parents came in and turned off the TV and said, "You know what? You're not gonna watch. You're not gonna watch shit." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, the design's really not too different from pretty much uh, the pterodactyls. Too, uh, I think it's a little too simplified. I mean, yeah, they're supposed to be, like, highly intelligent and highly evolved, but, I mean, as far as, like, physical looks go, especially with facial features, no, they look exactly the same. I will say this. At least the dinosaurs, there is something, uh, what's, what's the word, anthropomorphic? I can't say the word, anthropomorphic? Anthropomorphic? Anthrom, anthrom, wow, we're having problems with this word. <laughs> um, but, you know, there's something about the, their look that fits. The street sharks are probably the most hideous design I've ever seen. I'm trying to make a shark, a human kind of mold, and it looks like shit. At least the dinosaurs, they're kind of appealing. The T-Rex looks stupid, but the rest of them look kind of cool. The, the right. T-Rex looks like he ate something that he was allergic to, and now he has swollen 
you know, infect your face. Yeah, it does, I know, or pretty much just like really, or leprosy. Yeah. Yeah, no, he, <laughs> oh God, how horrible. <laughs> We're just pretty much tearing this to shreds. Yeah, there's somebody at home right now crying, my childhood is dead. We're not Your childhood is, we try okay, to it's like cartoons that we love, but there's some stuff that we have to be like, hey, this is a matter of fact, and we're kind of reviewing cartoons, so it's more of that. Um, I think it's weird when some people just like rip me a new app. You don't have to deal with the whole feedback part. There are times when you just hear about it, and you're like, all right. And then sometimes when people are just like, oh, you covered that cartoon, huh? Meh. Literally, we, we, yeah. did the, we did the Max and Eon Flux a couple weeks ago, and I put it up, and people are like, yeah, I get Eon Flux, but the Max... Why? I'm like, because they're both significant. They're they're necessary cartoons to be made and watched. And exactly, and the Max I felt was a great cartoon. I liked it better than Aeon Flux. However, I will say this. I mean, it makes sense that Raptors are villains because Raptors are more vicious than pretty much any of them. Yeah. I mean, but I mean, yeah. As we discussed uh, earlier with uh, Dino Riders, you know, T Rexes. There's uh, evidence that suggests they were just you know scavengers and not predators. You know, so it's like they wait to live. I was just thinking, we were watching dinosaur cartoons, and I said, you know, dra- uh, yeah, Flintstones, and I forgot there's one cartoon. It's not a dinosaur cartoon. I don't think. Does Godzilla count as a, a dinosaur? I don't know. He's definitely, he's a, he's a reptite, but not, he's, I don't know. Because he, was, he wasn't born that way. He was mutated. He yeah. was a nuclear experiment. How does that work? An accident. Some people would consider him a dinosaur. Like, they lump it up, they would. But he's not a dinosaur, but he kind of has that same feel. But the, the point is, though, is that there was a, a cartoon after the movie came out, which was kind of popular, actually. The cartoon was much more popular than the movie, I think. And uh, it's just too new. We really didn't want to cover that. That's from, like, I think, 1999. Oh, the one with uh, Matthew Broderick? Uh. Yeah, yeah. After the movie came out, they did a cartoon of it. Uh, well, there's two Godzilla cartoons. We covered the 70s version last year when somebody was completely high, and we were trying to <laughs> deal with that. And, uh, oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Remember the smoke was blowing in our face? We're like, dude, we don't also want to. Not not right now. <laughs> and uh, uh, No, it's like, uh, wait till afterwards, because, yeah. uh, you know, especially when I'm hungry. <laughs> well, it's also hard, yes, to, no. it's hard to record a show with it. <laughs> uh, yeah, there was a 90s series, though, with the, after the Matthew Roger Godzilla came out. That yes. Was, I actually remember liking the cartoon, but I don't think he counts as a dinosaur. No, he doesn't, but I do remember the cartoon, yes. It was just, it was the ba- it was the uh, egg that survived. And then Matthew Broderick's character in the cartoon f- kind of found out a way to coerce him into being a good guy. I mean, as a kid, you know, I loved it. It made millions of dollars, but it did get bad ratings. You know... Why haven't they made a Jurassic Park cartoon? I do not know. I'm not sure. It seems like they would, but maybe Spielberg's kept the the reins pretty tight on this one. The thing that drives me nuts about Jurassic World, while we're I mean we're doing this cartoon because of Jurassic World, so it's, it looks awesome. I love the cast, but they're ignoring the fact that two and three ever happened, and I have no idea why. What's the point? I don't know. I mean, three was. Well, two was pretty good. Three was okay. It was cool to see Doctor Grant back. Yeah, I love the two but... tackles. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, and then there was also the scene with that different dinosaur that would swim underwater and yeah, yeah. deadlier than a T-Rex. But it's at the same time, there's just something just was off about it. So you're okay with them erasing that history? I'm a little, don't worry, get me wrong. I'm a little confused by that. I'm not sure why, but then again, I don't think Jurassic World would happen, especially after events of part two and three. 
Yeah, that's this new thing though, is that they're making these sequels after a long period of time, but they're erasing certain sequels, and I'm just like, unless you really, really screw up, like uh, Halloween 6 was completely batshit insane, so Halloween 7 had to kind of like, oh, let's just forget that one. But then there's like, uh, what's the, the Alien series, they're trying to make another Aliens movie, but they're trying to erase the fact that 3 and 4 happened because, you know, Michael Bean and the girl died, whatever, so... I get it, but at the same time, you're negating what David Fincher did. You're basically saying your your work was shit, so we're all gonna erase it. I mean, it pretty much was. Every, every fanboy gets to go around erasing the history of a franchise to fit his own desires. Uh, right. I mean, well, the fan. I mean, I, also like what fanboys like for the longest time before comic books became big movies is uh, you know, pretty much like comic books were always just like disregarded and you know shelved and always thought as you know kid literature. Not good enough for adults, but like nowadays, like you know, if you know people want to try something new or change something around with these characters, fanboys just get outraged and pissed off and berserk, yeah, and become the people, and they're pretty much trying to suppress creativity. You know, the first just, run, uh, the first revolution of comics came around the late seventies when Neil Adams came around, and. Uh, you know, he grew up on comics, so he decided to put his own spin on it. The first generation of kids who read comics and came to that world and worked in it, they wanted to put their own spin on it. But now you find yourself, the generation after that, where these creators basically, they have these ideas, but now they're just stuck. They're stuck in a rut because nobody will let them go anywhere. And we are so far off tangent right now. Wow. Um, there, there is an episode where we can just talk about comic books sometime. But uh, for right now, I apologize. We are still watching Extreme Dinosaurs, not the comic book hour, <laughs> which I, 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 could, I could talk about comic books for an hour. Rob, oh, I know. Definitely. You, you would know stuff that I don't even know too much about comics. Yeah, and I know people who Nowhere know near more than you. me. I mean, it's just... Uh, well, yeah, that just shows that... <laughs> we're at the end. But anyway... We are at the yeah. end. We are at the end, and that just pretty much goes to show that this, uh, we didn't really find that cartoon this interesting. Yeah, you know, I think that's what happens if we go off on tangents, like that much of a tangent, you can tell we've lost interest. I'm not saying it's awful, <laughs> it's just something that did not grab my attention. That's funny, I just noticed the last name to Patty. Now, you know I told you that Marvel bought Frizz Freeling's company? Well, it was yes. Frizz Freeling and uh, I think David DePatty who created that company. I wonder if that's his son. Possibly. All right, everybody, that's Speak it with us, uh, Back in Tunes. Check us out on Facebook, Back in Tunes. Or Facebook.com slash Back in Tunes, and you can pretty much catch every episode we have up there. I'm, I'm uploading some old episodes, so you can usually tell. If it's one cartoon, it's usually an old episode. If it's a double feature, it's a newer cartoon, better production values. But all the same, still pretty entertaining. I am Michael signing off. Jacob? All right. Goodbye, everybody. Take care. Namaste and good luck. All right, everybody. Have a good night.
Alright everybody, welcome to Back in Tunes. This week we'll be watching SWAT Cats. This is actually a special request made by more than one person, which surprised me <laughs> that I got three requests from three different people on different pages for the same exact cartoon. Uh, so first episode is going to be SWAT Cats, second one's going to be Wildcats. I'm your host, Michael, my co-host... Jacob, hey everybody, how y'all doing? <laughs> I cranked it up way too loud. Sorry everybody for the distortion. <laughs> I had you really yes. cranked up. Uh, Either yes. that or I'm just really loud, I'm sorry. Yeah, we uh, we tend to ask requests here and there. We get requests, and we're more than happy to oblige our fans. If you do have an episode of, or not an episode, a cartoon you want us to review on Back in Tunes, totally let us know, and we have fun trying to find a cartoon that goes well with this one. This one's a little bit harder. Swat Cats uh, is very similar to a lot of cartoons that we already did. There's a lot of early 1990 cartoons that were influenced by Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. So we had we already did Street Sharks, we did Biker Mice from Mars and stuff like that, and then we had SWAT Cats, which is kind of in its own little world. So we tried to find something. We're going to do cops, but we decided to do Wildcats instead. Uh, yeah, I mean it was pretty hard to like kind of set up with something like this. Plus, actually, what I did not, what I what I remember now after watching it, it's a Hanna Barbera cartoon. Yeah, I I remember this, but I did not realize it was a Hanna Barbera cartoon at all. I guess Hanna Barbera started focusing on more action oriented cartoons in the nineties, especially the Johnny Quest reboot. Oh yeah, no, definitely. I mean, it definitely needed to get some action rather than your goofy, lovable cartoons. It needed so you needed something to get the kids' attention because all they wanted to do was just see people fight and blow blow shit, blow stuff up. Right. And, 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 of course, a lot of that stuff kind of warts welcome out, and kids were ready for action cartoons, especially in the 80s. You know, G.I. Joe and Transformers warmed things up, and then uh, by the time Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles came around, it was like everybody just started getting on the action bandwagon. Oh, yeah. Right here, I will say, the animation, I will say, is top-notch. Yeah. Even, gosh, just looking at the intro, it was like watching a movie. It's a little animated different movie. for Hanna-Barbera, though. It doesn't have their usual style. I think that they outsourced this to another country. Yeah, they had to outsource somewhere. I mean, it does. It looks very different. This is something I'd see if I was watching... Well, I don't know. I think so. there has to be some domestic uh, you know, animation studios. I mean, the ones that did Cast Don't Dance. Yeah, well, those are more studio. The studios usually kept everything in-house. But it was uh, television where it got a little sketchy. When Filmation went out of business, there was hardly anybody left in America making Saturday morning cartoons, especially action-oriented ones. And, of course, we had The Simpsons, and we had uh, The Critic and stuff like that being shot in America, then later being outsourced to uh, other countries. Did you watch Scott Cats when it was originally on? Uh, yes, I did. And actually, what I found out, like 1994 was like the best animated cartoon that year. It ran on for from at least 93 to 95, 23 yeah. episodes only. And there were some episodes that just did not get to air and that weren't finished. They were still planning on continuing it, and then it just got canceled. Yeah, I, I swear I had seen this when I was a kid, but none of it seemed familiar to me at all. And now I know why. It, uh, it was not on Saturday morning. It was not syndicated. This is one of the very first cartoons to actually premiere on a cable station. Like, solely devoted to that station. Of course, USA would do it within a couple of years, you know, with Savage Dragon, Wildcats, and other stuff. But TBS had a syndication block called The Fantastic World of Hanna-Barbera that ran on TBS, and I guess later they would send it out to other networks. But for the most part, I only remember being on TBS, and I, don't, I didn't really have cable that much uh, growing up. Oh, yeah, no, so, I mean, especially where you were living at the time, too. It was tough to get any good, decent channels out there. Yeah, I mean, so you were so behind on everything. Well, at this point, I was obsessed with stand-up comedy, 
So I pretty much spent all my days either watching MTV or Comedy Central. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I do have to, and of course, yes, there's, you know, your typical cat jokes in cartoons like this. And so I'm guessing also, there's also, oh yeah, that's what I was going to mention. There was a, a Super Nintendo video game for this too. Yeah, most of these cartoons that we cover, especially in the ones in the early 90s, had um, excellent cartoon games, or uh, excellent Nintendo games, or Sega games based on them, And which is weird because if it was a movie, it usually had one of the worst ever, but for some reason when it came to cartoons, they always had excellent games. It's so weird. Pirates of Dark Water, this. DuckTales, um, uh, Power Rangers, or not Power Rangers, Rescue Rangers. <clears throat> oh, Power Rangers did have a good one too. Yeah. And... I was looking at the voice cast here. Of course, Charlie Adler, you saw his name all the time. Uh, Jim Cummings, Darkwing Duck, Mark Hamill. Oh, Charlie Mark Adler Hamill? is dead. I didn't realize that. I'm sorry to hear that. But wait, who did Mark Hamill play? Uh, give me a second. I'm just looking at Charlie Adler. Um, I'd have to look up. Tress McNeil was also in this. Gary Owens, rest in peace. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mark Hamill... Maybe he was one of the villains. Brock Peters, wow, he played one of the villains. Frank Welker, yet again. Rob Paulson, wow. Yeah, it says Mark Hamill was in here, but he didn't play one of the main characters. Maybe he was one of those guys that just popped in and out as, like, whatever character was... Like a special villain, yeah. Episode. Something like that. Okay, so, definitely this... Well, the villain here, it seems like, yes, he's a... Time, like, well, he definitely has something to do with time. He might be able to jump through it, or probably an old sorcerer that got sealed away. You know, I think it's weird. We were talking about the fact that SWAT Cats was the number one show in the country uh, in 1994, or number one animated show in the country in 1994, and yet the next year it was canceled. I don't understand how that works with cartoons. It's funny, if uh, grown-ups attach themselves to a cartoon, it'll be on forever and ever and ever, even when it doesn't need to be. I'm sorry, Family Guy should have ended years ago. Uh, Simpsons should have ended years ago. It hasn't been funny in forever. And yet... When it comes to kids, their attention span is so short that it can be a massive success in one year, and then the next year, eh, we're done. We're moving on. Kids aren't loyal jerks. No, they aren't. They don't really care. I don't know. I was always loyal to Captain Planet and Batman and Power Rangers for the longest time. Yeah, all three of those have been on for a really long time. I'm surprised I'm surprised nobody uh, requested Captain Planet, especially during Earth Day. That oh man, do we need to do it? I don't. I I have apprehensions on watching Captain Planet. Though I've never seen it, so I'm being a little bit of a jerk there. Oh, like I said, at least at least give it a shot. Watch it first. Oh, okay. then if you like, if if you like it, we could do it. Yeah, you know what? We should have done that. I feel like we missed a missed something there. Maybe next Earth Day if we last that long. <laughs> Possibly. Okay, and all the polar, bear, and all anyways, polar bears right? are okay. What's that? As long as all the polar bears are okay too, and you know all the. Chem- and, you know, the chemical exposure in the atmosphere didn't break the bone in their pelvic region. Right. Yeah, no, it's an actual scientific fact. They have a bone in their penis, which is why, because, you know, it could take weeks to impregnate a female polar bear. Weeks? That's a lot of, uh, that's a lot of love yeah. between polar bears. Yeah, I know, but in order to keep them hard, there is a bone in their penis, actually. Ah, right. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is science, right? I know, this is science. I know, we're discussing this on a kid show, well, sort of kid show. Well, they're learning. It's scientific. All right. You know what? We shouldn't be ashamed of sexuality. We should just be educated properly. That maybe we, maybe we have less pregnant teenagers. Abstinence does not work. <laughs> uh, so, uh, SWAT Cats is available complete on DVD through Warner Archive. It's not available in stores. So you're going to have to go straight to their manufacturer on demand site. But I heard their, their DVDs are actually pretty high quality. Oh, that they are. 
I was looking at the video game. It was done by Hudson Soft. Okay, so at least it wasn't LJN. That might make sense. Hudson Soft was a... They weren't exactly the, the top tier. They weren't like Capcom or anything like that. But they were always a solid yeah. company that put out pretty decent games. Yeah, they did. I mean, I even I even have it on my phone. I uh, downloaded it through an app. And it's, like I said, it's a fun, you know, platformer game. You know, you get to go on foot and then you get to fly in the planes. It blended really well. That's cool. I, I love the fact that you can still get these old... Um, ROMs and play them on your emulators. Yes, I know. They're always, I mean, I've got so many. I've got Alien vs. Predator, Batman Returns. I never played that as a kid. I always wanted to, to play it for the SC, Super NES. Yeah, it was you know, t- entirely different from Sega. Um, I should tell the listeners this. We are going to be doing a whole month of video game-oriented cartoons in July. That's when, uh, what's the movie with uh, Adam Sandler again? Oh, Pixels. Pixels. Um, when Pixels comes out, we're going to do a whole month of cartoons based around video games. So you're going to get Mario, Zelda, the horrifying Zelda, Double, <laughs> Pac-Man, Double Dragon, Double Dragon, Donkey Kong, Street Fighter. We're going to get whatever video game cartoon we can and watch and discuss the crap out of them. Um, oh, after this episode, we're going to be watching uh, a couple of post-apocalyptic cartoons. We're talking about what, doing Fist of the North Star and um, Thunder of the Barbarian. Thundarian. Yeah. Right, yeah, no, that would be pretty, yeah, that, that'll work, that'll definitely work. I mean, I've, been wanting enough... to do, I've been wanting to do the Planet of the Apes cartoon forever. We tried doing it last year, and then I ended up moving, and it just didn't happen. But uh, it's been put off for a year, I think we should probably do it soon. Oh, definitely. That's another post-apocalyptic. Oh, it pretty much is. And nature's, like, come back, and it's like nature fought back. Yeah. Just like with, um, oh gosh, I'm trying to think, yeah, Jurassic Park, I want to say. I was thinking more of the happening. I've never seen it, but I know the plants revolt. <laughs> oh, yes. It's <laughs> a stupid idea. Uh, I should say this real quick about Hudson Soft. I didn't know that they went out of business. Uh, three years ago, they merged with Konami. So their product is still available. It's just they're not producing games on their own anymore, which is kind of a bummer because I always like Bomberman. And, uh, do you remember Bonk's Adventure? With a little guy, a little bald baby guy, whatever, would ram his head into things and destroy those kind oh, of Mario Oh, yeah. I think I remember that. I also remember Chuck Rock. Oh, I remember that, yeah. Yeah, no, oh gosh, I have to, I have to find that and download that. All right, so, I also have uh, make it. Here's a weird thing is, usually big names picked up these licenses for cartoons and movies and stuff like that, and there's one company that, they were never that big, but their name pops up here and there, and I'm pretty sure they're out of business. It's Remco. Have you ever heard of them? I think so, Maybe. Yeah, they never really had anything big. They usually would grab licenses for other company, you know, or for TV shows and cartoons that were popular at the time and do toys out of that. But they rarely yep. ever made their own toy and then made something big out of that, which is how, you know, Kenner and Hasbro and all those guys made tons and tons of money. And Mattel. Yeah, they, uh, they did the Swat Cats. Swat Cats is, in fact, their very last line of toys. Wow. Uh, they did Friday Kid action figures, which were absolute garbage. Uh, they did the Crystar. Now, if you never heard of Crystar, that is a toy line that was also a comic book from Marvel, which should have been a cartoon. I, I, it, they were amazing designs, and it never took off. And that's about it. The rest of them were just licenses of other companies. I don't even know how they stayed in business oh. so long. Yeah, it is. It's quite bizarre. And honestly, a, a, I think a franchise like this, just from what I can tell already, I'm surprised it hasn't been picked up by anybody else or tried to have been revived. Yeah. Well, Jack's Pacific owns the rights to all the Remco toys. I don't know if they still have the chance with the license for SWAT Cats, but Jack's Pacific mostly focuses on those little, you know, those little games 
where you have a controller and all the games are like stored in the controller and you just plug it right into your TV. Oh, yes, one of those. Yeah, they uh, they created that. So they're still in business. They're still doing pretty well. And uh, it's possible they still have the rights, but I doubt it. Right. Honestly, I think, well, like I said, from this, I mean, there could be a lot of, I mean, there could be a potential for another, like a, at least an animated movie or something. Yeah, you never I know mean, what will come back. I mean, we're in full-fledged 90s revival right now. Pretty much, yeah. Although, speaking of Karate Kid, did you know that there was a Karate Kid uh, character in the DC Universe? Yeah, in the Legion of Superheroes. Okay, good, you do know who he is. Yeah, Dante Bosco, the kid who played Rufio, he was the voice of him in uh, an animated movie recently. Nice. Uh, I think it's funny that part of the licensing for SWAT Cats offered <laughs> a White Castle and Carl's Jr. offered toys in their meals. I didn't even know White Castle had kids' meals. I just was like, I thought it was just the burgers and fries, and that's pretty much it. You know, one of those simple places like uh, In-N-Out Burger. Yeah. <laughs> well, and a kid like me at the time, I mean, we only got White Castle in those packaged boxes, and they were just awful, god-awful. And it yeah. turns out, yeah... It, White Castle is more of an East Coast thing. There was a place in uh, Indiana called Powers Hamburgers that tried the White Castle method, and I swear to you, it would take forever to get any burgers because they were so, so popular. But man, they were good. Oh, wow. Good to know. I mean, as long as they're like made fresh, I guess they're probably good. But are, do they usually steam them? No, no. It's on the grill. But I think it's because it's so insanely hot and the fat comes out that it kind of steams. So, you know, it just happens that way. But, yeah, I, I've seen them made. The nice part is um, White Castle kind of does it, but they're, they, they have an open grill, but you don't, you don't really have seats to see it. Uh, the Powers Hamburgers place, you could sit there and see the grill right in front of you. You could sit at a booth and watch them make the burgers, which, as a kid, you're always curious. I always love seeing, uh, going to places where you could see how they made things. There was a place called Shakey's Pizza, and uh, I think it became Noble Roman's. But they would have a big, big honking window where you could see the pizza going down the assembly line from, you know, toppings into the cooker or whatever and then out and then how they box oh, yeah. it up. And as a kid, that was the most amazing thing. That's why we love going to Krispy Kreme. You go in there and you watch them how they make the donuts. Yeah. I went kind of excited there and on a tangent, but I got excited about food. I love food. Okay. I will have to say here, this villain, like I said, it's pretty interesting. Like he's from the past, he's come to the future, and he's just trying to bring back his old, his old city. And he's very disrespectful to women, <laughs> as usual. The best villains are the ones that you can kind of see where they're coming from if things are just turned a little bit. Like, you can kind of see where Lex Luthor's coming from. You can see where a lot of the great villains can be, because if you just took a different choice in your brain, it could, it could right. put you on that path instead of the hero's path. I mean, in their mind, they see themselves as the hero. I don't like yeah. villains. The problem with a lot of cartoons are villains are usually one-dimensional and they're pure evil. People don't just become evil. There has to be some sort of turn in their life that makes them believe that this is the way things should be. It's very, exactly. very rare for someone just to be flat out just, uh, I don't care, I'm going to destroy everything in my way. Exactly. It was like that for the longest time, at least until, like, what, the 70s and the 80s? Yeah, I mean, even then, cartoons just always have a struggle because they're aiming they think because it's aiming at children they have to simplify things so much and dumb things down so much that it's embarrassing if you're a grown up trying to watch it actually you know what I'd watch cartoons sometimes as a kid thinking no no that's just too generic uh, yeah it is they, if you want kids to be smarter you have to bridge that gap between simplicity and complexity you have to bring something to make them actually think for themselves and if you find yourself kind of siding with the villain just a little bit, that 
that's it's something that's uh, more sophisticated than usual cartoons. And if, oh, yeah, if you find yourself completely siding with a villain, though, you should probably go seek therapy, and your parents are probably worried. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, for, honestly, I think the one villain that got me to sympathize with them first was Magneto from X-Men. I mean, as a kid, you know, it's like he, he has all these great powers, and he was Charles' best friend. Something went wrong. And then finding out, like, what it was, and then going into his past, you know, being, you know, a Nazi Holocaust survivor, yeah, he has every right to be mad. Gosh, even in X-Men uh, First Class, I was cheering for him at the end. Yeah. I was like, good, don't kill them. Uh, back to Swat Cat. So it's a fun show. It's very lively. Hanna-Barbera put a lot of care into it. Um, I would say more care than they put into a lot of the shows during the 80s where they kind of, it seemed like they got kind of lazy and then all of a sudden the animation revival happened. Um, it's a great duo. It's funny. It's action-packed. It's not like I would say they're top shows, but it's definitely, it's definitely um, uh, worth checking out. Yeah, I know. I mean, heck, I mean... As I said before, you know, 1994 cartoon of the year. I mean, it deserves some recognition. And there'd be a lot of... And the flight simulation sequences would be, I think, amazing yeah, in this day and age. Yeah, pretty cool. Um, everybody, that's it for us with SWAT Cats. We're going to take a break and come back with Wildcats. Now a word from our sponsor. Hey, nice shirt. Gee, thanks. Say, that's a nice coffee mug, too. Well, I sure like it. You want to clue me in on where you got them? Sure thing. Just visit jibetsko.com. Swell. Hey... How do you spell that? Why, it's G-I-M-E-T-Z-C-O dot com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Back in Tunes. Uh, the first episode of Wildcats is up on YouTube. Actually, the entire series is. The first episode is called Dark Blade Falling. We're going to kind of watch this and discuss it. And it is by and Jim Lee. It is by Jim Lee, who is very well known for his work with DC now. Yeah, I remember when uh, Jim Lee left X Men. I mean, he was it was at the peak of X Men, and it sold a million copies. And uh, I think he was about 12 uh, issues in, and all of a sudden he just goes, yeah, you know what, I'm out. And all of a sudden, tons of people from Marvel, all the hottest artists, all said, we're out. And uh, they started Image Comics. And Jim Lee's Image Comic was Wildcats. Yeah, no, that was like, uh, of course, was one of his main things. And actually, afterwards, after uh, after being there for so many years, you know, he, he actually sold the rights to Grifter to uh, DC. He sold his entire universe to DC. Uh, okay, yeah, no, hey, gotta sell it to, I mean, you know, DC's a great company, they're still doing great, I think, especially with their animated movies, Oh yeah. and it's, it's a shame about the New 52 universe that they're gonna be stopping next month. Dude, what? Yeah, they're not gonna be doing uh, New 52 anymore. 
Yeah, there's, they made an announcement on it. I thought you'd, I thought you'd no, know that. You know what? I've actually been out of the comic book loop at best. I just grab whatever trade paperback I can pick up at the uh, the library. Uh, it's very, very difficult for me to keep up, especially budget-wise. Oh, my God. Yeah. Well, it's had a good run. It's like, what, four years? Okay, so oh. what exactly is going on with that, real quick? Well, I know it's like they're going to not continue the New 52 like universes anymore. Are they rebooting again? I have no idea. I uh, it's been a while since I read that article. Oh, I'm so sick of the reboots, man. Uh, all right, Oops, so with Wildcats, yeah, he did sell his entire universe to DC, and then became like just the king of great art over there. He he redid a, uh, you know, Superman, Batman numerous times, and his artwork is just astounding. He's one of the few guys from that Image team that left uh, Marvel that. His art still holds up. A lot of that stuff, it's like of the time period, like Rob LaField, Wills Patricio. It was more about style than substance. And uh, especially with Rob LaField, he had no idea how proper anatomy worked. <laughs> you can't have a shoulder up in your ear. And uh, right. Jim Lee, man, he just had it down. Yeah, and also, uh, the, the video game DC Universe Online is based off Jim Lee's artwork. Yeah, it's great, man. He's just top-notch. That he is. Uh, of the also, comic books, I think it's funny that only Savage Dragon is still around. It's been, what, 23 years? And it's, oh, yeah. it's still going strong. Oh, yeah. They, they were, uh, actually gave, um, on Free Comic Book Day, they were giving out uh, Savage Dragon Legacy. It's about Malcolm. Malcolm yeah, Dragon, you know, his, his son. son. Right, yeah. yeah. Oh, I know. I mean, it's great to see that kind of character still kicking it. I mean, he's, he's, he's just awesome. Even his son, he's living up to the legacy. Yeah, the biggest problem with Image Comics, especially in the beginning, was you got eight hot artists that all got together to start their own thing, but they'd never run a company before. They never had anybody on their backs pushing them. And some guys were really on time. Jim Lee was almost always on time. Uh, of course, Eric Larson has never been much of a slouch. But then you had guys that would put out like one issue, and then it'd be four months until the next issue, then a year until the next issue. Some of these guys really shot themselves in the foot. So they pretty much just took their time and kind of slacked off. Yeah, and so you, you fast forward to the point where, um, I think it was 98, and this, uh, Image Comics, of course, went beyond just the core group of guys. They started getting other comics in, and they made a deal with people. It's like, hey, you pay for the production of the comic, or you pay for whatever it is to create a comic book, and we will supply the printers, we will supply our logo you know, as a sign of quality, and which was always dubious and we will help do promotion but you guys have to kick in a lot of cash but it was cool that these guys could come out of nowhere they a, a label wouldn't pick you know a major distributor wouldn't pick them up and image says hey just pay us like thirteen hundred dollars for the production fees of the comics you know to make them and we'll do the rest of the work for you oh wow but in 1998 there was a subline of image called cliffhanger where it was joe Madeira, humberto ramos and uh Crap, I can't remember the third guy's name. Uh, but they did comics that were really awesome, got everybody excited about Image again, and then uh, the production was really erratic, especially with Battle Chasers. In fact, I still think that Battle Chasers is on a cliffhanger with issue 9, and that was 12 years ago. 12 years? Yeah, it's kind of pathetic. He uh, he just got interested in video games too much, and he stopped doing the comic book. But I was like, dude, you got to finish that stuff first. Like, darn it, we want... We want to know the end, man. Yeah, so by then, Image Comics completely fell apart, and that's when people started selling off. I mean, uh, they had already fired Rob LaField. He went off to do his own label, and it was always really erratic. 
It's terrible quality. The only thing that ever good came out of his line was Astro City. And uh, Jim Lee sold his stuff to DC. So, yeah, they own everything. And uh, I don't know if that's for good or bad. Are they even using the Wildcats label? I don't even, I'm not even sure they are anymore. I think everybody's just kind of gone their separate ways. I know Grifter. Grifter definitely had his own issues for a while. Grifter's so awesome. In fact, I never actually read Wildcats more than maybe the first issue. I just wasn't interested. It felt like an X-Men ripoff. But something about Grifter, just, you know, most of because he looked cool. Uh, something about him really stuck with me. And when he went off to do his own series, he did like three series on his own. I think they only lasted oh, like, wow. you know, maybe 20 issues and whatever. But man, I read the hell out of them. So entertaining. Right. I will say Wildcats here, the animation for the for this series, it definitely is kind of like X-Men. Like a mix between X-Men and Spider-Man Unlimited. Yeah, a lot of those yeah. image comics, they always felt like something else. Savage Dragon felt like the Hulk. Uh, Spawn felt like Spider-Man and, you know, maybe a little bit more. There's always a feel of something else. Like uh, Shadowhawk. Spawn? Shadowhawk. Uh, Hawk felt like uh, uh, Moon Knight. Something about them always reminded us of another hero. I know it sounds like Shadowhawk did remind me of Moon Knight. What's that? I said Shadowhawk did remind me of Moon Knight. I, I do want to say, though, um, as far as it goes for uh, Spawn, I thought that was on a whole nother level. Oh, it was. But in the very beginning, when we saw the mask and we saw that Todd McFarlane had just come from Spider-Man, and then we looked at Spawn going, it's Spider-Man with a cape. Oh, yeah. But then, of course, you got to read it, and then things changed. And, of course, it's dramatically different than almost anything out there. Oh, definitely. It was so... It, it was uh, it was heavy. It was very heavy on, like, violence and gore and just the whole concept of, you know, gods and angels fighting each other. And I will say, this character here, uh, this big old giant guy, reminds kind of reminded me of the Max. Yeah. And that was also another image title. That was Sam Keith's. Which is also a cartoon we should discuss someday because that was on MTV and I heard it's really sophisticated yes, it and uh, it goes well with the um, Eon Flux. Yeah, it was part of the Oddities uh, Hour, the animation or the animation segment, the Oddities. You know, like that they had Eon Flux, they had um, the Max, and then they also had the Head. Oh, the Head! I remember that. That was so bizarre. Um, so. You know, the one thing about Wildcats is it does reek of the early 90s, especially that dude's hair before he just changed. Uh, oh, yeah. The designs on them, it, it, it's very of the time. Sure. There's some stuff that, you know, could last for any decade, you know. Grifter will always look cool. even though trench coats are a little silly. Oh, yeah, no. I mean, I think they got rid of the tr- – I'm not sure if they kept the trench coat, uh, you know, at least in recent years. It would make sense for them to dump it. And their leader always reminded me of Maxwell Lord from Justice League. Oh yeah, it's it's, it's hard for it's hard for anybody in comics to make something new that no one has ever seen before if they're going to be in the superhero genre. And exactly, what's that? Oh no, exactly. I know exactly what you mean. I mean, it's I mean, considering all the great heroes that were created already, you just kind of you know bring something new to that universe. But creating your own hero or your own like you know villain, it's just really it's just so tough to do. Because it's hard to erase hard. the stuff yeah. that you know already and create something. That's why some of the best stuff is coming out of nowhere. You know, that has nothing to do with superheroes. I don't know. I can't really think of any right now. You know, think, oh, I was just thinking of, like, The Walking Dead and stuff like that. And, you know, little titles that pop up here and there. Uh, uh, Chew is a really good one. Uh, so I was thinking here, you know, part of the Wildstorm universe that Wildcats existed in, there was a line called Gen 13, which everybody was insane about for about eh, four years. Uh, they actually made a Gen 13 movie, a full-length movie, animated, 
and it's never been released, and it's been forever since it came out. What's it called? Gen 13. It's a, a full-length movie. It's all animated, and it has never been put out on video. Disney bought it, and they have never put it out, and that was like 12 years ago that movie was made or more. Gen 13. I'll have to look into that. Yeah, it's on YouTube, the whole thing. Oh, wow. Awesome. Good to know. Actually, so I'm guessing... Oh, oh, you know what I wanted to say about the intro song earlier? Yeah, it, it sounded like a. <laughs> yeah, it was like a really, really bad, really bad version of Hearts Never almost. Oh man, the whole thing is just awful. It, it tries it to is. be like a combination of some song on the radio, some pop song mixed with X Men. Anybody that takes a line that reminds Hero and Zero automatically just oh, that's lazy. Pretty much, yeah. This whole that 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 oh gosh, that was clearly a. Just clearly for kids. Just clearly for kids. It was. Yeah. It's just that terrible. It's. It, I. I. Oh, oh. Uh, There's so much profanity that should just be shooting out of my mouth right now, but I can't. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> oh, uh, Wildcats. It aired on CBS, which also surprised me. I still thought this aired on USA with Savage Dragon. Oh, okay. Oh, Nelvana what? produced this. Nelvana was the Canadian company that did a bunch of animation. In fact, I think they're still in business. It's just they're not really well known right now. Right. I yeah. I haven't even heard of Kana. Like I said, as far as animation studios, that's your forte. I mean, I know there's Hanna Barbera and Ruby Spears and another one that we mentioned before that I can't remember. Well, we always talk about filmation. Oh, filmation and Deke. Oh my God! That I one. didn't know this. Did you know? Oh, of course you're not gonna. Know. Sorry, Nelvana. Um, they did a lot of stuff like the Droids and Ewoks cartoon. They did stuff. <laughs> they did stuff for the uh, the Inspector Gadget show. They did Strawberry Shortcake. They did Heavy Metal the movie. Oh my god, that is awesome. They also did Rock and Roll, which you have to see. It's a post-apocalyptic rock and roll movie with animals, and it's it's badass. Uh, so, okay, Rock and Rule? Yeah. That does sound pretty cool. That does sound pretty cool. I still have yet to see Rockula. Um, <laughs> there is a thing here. Uh, on their page, they have concept art of the planned plan, uh, Doctor Who cartoon that never happened. Oh, it wow. It looks amazing. The, the thing about Nelvana is they had a very particular style. They focused more on um, the director itself, like his style and technique, instead of going with whatever was most affordable. Now, by the time it looks like they got to Wildcats, they were going, you know what, let's just try to make it cheap as possible, which is a bummer. Because during the 80s, man, they had some serious style going on. Oh, God. Yeah, and I will say though the animation for this cartoon, I think, was pretty, pretty well done though. Like I said, it did not see, it does not seem cheap at all. No, but you can tell that it's more of a, um, a product of its time, not a product of whoever was in charge of it, because it doesn't even right. look like Jim Lee's art. It just looks like, well, let's just make it look like it looks a lot like X Men. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. It looks a lot like the animated series. Of X-Men. Yeah, that's why, that's why, yeah, the early 90s, which we have never covered, which always surprises me. Which we should cover soon. Yeah. Especially, oh, there well, then again. Cartoons, there are some cartoons we keep skipping. Um, sometimes we get requests, so that kind of gets in the way. And then sometimes we plan around whatever movie is coming out. And then sometimes we find ourselves just avoiding all classic cartoons. You know, we almost focus solely on 80s and 90s. And this is a retro show, yet we hardly ever dig into... I mean, we've never even touched the Golden Age. We've never done, like, Woody Woodpecker or Bugs Bunny or Disney. And I, I, I've been thinking lately that we're ignoring uh, much-needed, you know. Although, doing, yeah, doing DuckTales and Chip and Dale was uh, something that was definitely needed. Yeah, but I feel like we, we're skipping some of the older stuff. But, yeah, there are like, 
Flintstones, Jetsons. What's that? Flintstones, Jetsons. That's a perfect combination right there. Flintstones and Jetsons. We have never touched it. But we do seem to focus on the cartoons that either you watched when you were a kid or I watched as a kid. So it just makes a lot more sense. But man, I want to talk about some Golden Age cartoons sometime. Oh, most definitely. Def- next, uh, like I said, next segment. No, no, not next segment. We're doing post-apocalyptic stuff. Right. Maybe after post-apocalyptic stuff. Yeah, if, uh, unless someone makes another suggestion, you know. But yeah, we uh, we try to tell all the audience what we're going to do ahead of time. But then, of course, here's the weird thing: is we tell you what we're going to do next time. But I intersperse older episodes in with the new episodes, you know, to give content. People want content, content, content. And so it can get a little bit weird when they listen and they go, uh, that's not the next episode. You guys said you're going to do this next. And then that's, you know. <laughs> so it, it, it's a mishmash. But um, if you see a double feature cartoon that tends to be a new episode, unless it's a special episode. Uh, literally last week I finally was able, after six months of planning, trying to get a, an old friend of mine to do Dungeons and Dragons with me, and we finally were able to do that after months and months of planning. Oh, Ron, how'd that go? How'd the Dungeons and Dragons go? Uh, the episode was fine. It's just his connection where he is. He lives in the middle of nowhere. I live in the middle of nowhere. It was a little rough. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't even know there was a Dungeons and Dragons cartoon. I mean, I'm not too surprised. I mean, it's such a, it's such a huge thing, but still. Oh, it was actually excellent. Uh, at the time, it was a huge sensation, but... um. There was a thing where some kids actually killed each other because they were playing Dungeons and Dragons for real. So one kid actually slayed the other kid, and all of a sudden everybody went into a panic, and the cartoon got canceled. I'm wide-eyed right now. What? Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh! Oh, I don't know what to think or what to say other than a lot of profanity. But yes, yeah. anyway. All right. So Wildcats. Um, I remember the Damonites being a huge. Uh, you know, like being, basically being the main villain, but they always remind me of the Brood from X Men. It's just every time I think of Wildcats, I always they look exactly X-Men. like the bro- they they look a lot like the Brood too. Yeah, it's just what I take from Wildcats is Grifter. He was a badass on his own, and he's one of the only characters I actually think is worth keeping around. The rest of them just don't interest me, which might infuriate some of the people listening. But this isn't about kissing Heine and making everybody happy. We just watch a cartoon and we discuss it. That's it. Exactly. Not only Grifter, I think, but also, um, oh god, the red, the red uh, ninja girl with the sword. Yeah, she was actually awesome too. She actually was in yeah. the Grifter comic quite a bit because I think they were in a relationship. Yeah, there was there was an on and off thing between the two, and yeah, she definitely was kept around in DC. Everybody else, not so much. Yeah, I'm um, looking at the voice cast, and usually we have our regular standbys, like, oh, I know him, I know him, I know him, and then some like celebrities will pop in. We got nothing. The only person I recognize here is Maurice Dean Wendt. He was in the Cube movie and a couple other things, and that's about it. I don't recognize anybody. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, I don't recognize any of these voices either. I mean, I usually, like, from all the cartoons I've watched, I would definitely recognize Fred Tatasciore or Frank Welker or... Paulson. You know, so Rob Paulson a lot. Yes, Rob Paulson, Cam Clark, and Jennifer Hale. Oh, I would re- recognize Jennifer Hale in a heartbeat. Jim Cummings. Yeah, so I think it's because it's a Canadian company. They probably saved a lot of money. You know, you get tax credits. Uh, The government supports their film industry better than any other film industry I can think of. And they probably say, well, we'll give you a huge cutback on this and tax rebate, but you have to hire solely Canadian voice actors. Yes, that's right. I mean, most of the stuff, whenever whenever, someone needs to film film anything, it has to be mostly from, mostly of it has to be from uh, Canada. Right. 
You know, the one thing that bums me about this is that there is a game of Wildcats for the Super NES, but you never get to play as Grifter. You only play as Spartan, Warblade, and Maul. No Grifter. Lame. Spartan's cool, but yeah, no, no Grifter? Nope. I'm sure that's probably the reason why people want to play that game, is no Grifter. Kidding. You know, and I just you remember. Deprive them. I deprive them of their childhood. I forgot for years I had a Grifter toy in the package and I put them on my wall. I forgot about that, but I sold them when I got really, really in trouble financially. Oh, jeez. I owned yeah, a book. No. He was going to break my legs. He said, I'll take that Grifter doll. You know? <laughs> <laughs> He's like, yeah, that could be worth it. I can make it worth a lot of money. I'll take it. All right. Yeah, so no. The Honestly. complete series is on DVD, but it's out of print. So good luck finding that. So thankfully, we have uh, people who love cartoons and they put them up on YouTube. Yes, and there's only 13 episodes, so it's not like you'll have to supremely binge on it should no. you get the desire to. Can you imagine if, you're like, okay, so we have this one show called uh, Full Throttle TV where we talk about shows that have, like, cool cars and vehicles. And uh, at first it seemed like, oh, we could just knock these all out, you know, do, like, 13 episodes every week. And then we find ourselves going, oh, God, there's a lot of Miami Vice episodes. Oh, my God, Magna P.I. is so long. So we were only <laughs> able to do, like, one a month. We had to binge watch the crap out of these shows. Yeah, I will say, this villain, he looks like something out of, he looks like something out of Doctor Strange. He reminds me of Dormammu a bit. Nightmare, I think his name is. I'd have to see him again. I was actually looking at something else for a while. Uh, Wikipedia is my best friend when I do these shows. <laughs> okay. Yeah, he's basically like this, you know, white-flamed, you know, uh, white-flamed head. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, villain. Totally see that. Oh, gosh. I wonder if that'll be the main... I wonder if Dormammu will be the main villain in the uh, Doctor Strange movie. Um, no, they probably won't go that big. They'll probably save him for later. Um, Baron Mordo. They'll probably keep Baron. I actually don't know Doctor Strange that well. I only usually know him when he popped up in other comics. He was... I've never been a bad fan of, like, the science guys. Like, um, shows that are... Or comic books that are hard sci-fi, like Fantastic Four, I can kind of hop in and out of. Um, I've never really got into... Thor, I never, you know, which goes like out of this world. I think I, I'm more of a street character. I like, yeah, some some along the street or supernatural characters. Yeah, like Daredevil and Iron Fist. Yeah, those and kind of characters I can get into easier. It's uh, you know, like Wonder Woman. I've never gotten to Wonder Woman. I have to tell you this right now. I've read Superman numerous times, but at no point can I go. I recommend this. I get this. And Superman has always been kind of an anomaly to me, where I just. I can't get into them, but I'll read the crap out of Batman. Oh, yeah, no, Batman, oh, definitely. I can't go wrong with Batman ever. I will say this. Uh, Superman, though, the new 52 Superman, mm-hmm. I like that one a lot. Yeah, I just read that I one. Like I it. read the, the new launch. Was it Superman Unchained? It was okay. Yeah, I really like and I like what they're doing with Superman. And the way they're um, kind of like showing off Lex Luthor, as you were saying, like where he sees himself as the hero and he sees Superman as a threat to the human species yeah. rather than you know being a jealous, rich prick. Um, oh, so it's over already. The one thing I will say about Image Comics is it did suffer from style over substance. Scripts were not something they really focused on. They were just like, let's get someone just to put together a story with the creator, or sometimes the creator put it together himself, and a lot of times it just didn't work. The reason it works with uh, Eric Larson is because I feel like he is such a huge fanboy, but at the same time, he doesn't bow down to what the fanboys want, so he just goes bonkers with whatever pops in his head he will put in that comic book, as long as it doesn't go against like what's already been set up. He right. is very enthusiastic. That's why the comic is still going. Um, 
But the rest of them, not so much. They just didn't really seem to care about the stories. You'll find one here and there where it'll pop up. Warren Ellis came in to uh, Stormwatch, and he just killed it. Uh, that was great. Oh, After yeah. City is great. But as far as Image Comics goes, I, I, I can't say that it was a, re- a really a good brand in the beginning. Not really, no. But man, did they sell like- hotcakes. Every single last thing from Image Comics sold like crazy during the early 90s. Well, I mean, they did seem a lot more outlandish and out there rather than what Marvel was doing. They set, it definitely set up more, you know, more colorful. Yeah, and well, it was a different, and you know, different branch. You know, a little bit more, crea- a little bit more creative freedom. Yeah, and uh, there was more. Uh, the collector's market was bigger. This is before trade paperbacks were widely available. Back then, it was extremely rare to get a story collected up in a book. And now it's like the normal thing, and the collector's market died out. And I can't believe there's actually digital bootleg versions of comic books now. It's just like, what? Digital bootleg? No point. You can literally pay Marvel like five bucks a month for access to almost every single one of their comics, the the digital version of them, so you can read them on your iPad computer. And just the fact that bootleg exists boggles the mind. But back then, collector's market was huge. And I had an uncle who had his own comic book business, and they'd always offer these incentives. Order 50 of this number one issue, and we'll give you a limited edition gold foil embossed. You know, everything was everything was some sort of limited edition, like, oh, this one's silver ink, this one's blood, and this one's uh, foil printed, pressed. You know, it was like, oh, this one's gold. Uh, die cut. Die cut was the most insane thing. They actually made a hard cardboard cover. And then they would just cut out a little piece of it, and it would, I don't know, it was dumb. Hey, I want to say this about, like, fanboys who get pissed off at, like, you know, the filmmakers for, just like some of the, like, some of the stuff I'd read earlier about the Suicide Squad photos. I swear, they have nothing, they have nothing to cry about. Plus, I think they're even getting Suicide Squad, the movie, should stun them. Yeah, I know. I mean, come on, this is like the Dirty Dozen of DC. There's a, and also, okay, I, so the difference between being a fan and a fanboy is a fan is someone who can really get behind something, they love it, uh, they're not entrenched into certain things. Fanboys can be a 50-50 shot of whether someone is way off the ranch when it comes to what is reasonable. Look, you know, there's certain things you cannot do on film that you can do in comics. And sometimes the restrictions of the story can uh, hinder the movie being its own thing. And they want it precisely they want exactly 100 percent just as it is in the comics but if you look at the comics the history has changed so much the stories have changed so much but they are the assholes that are responsible for bringing back a lot of characters that should have stayed dead just because they can't stand change they're so locked in emotionally to something that they can't i know in any way it's ridiculous i know especially i mean it's also i mean especially when uh johnny storm was cast you know by as michael b jordan or Michael B. Jordan was cast as Johnny Storm. It's like some people were so pissed off just because the fact that he was black. I'm like, they're casually racist without even knowing it. Yeah, well, they, they or out of shit about everything. It's just like, well, that, that one piece there on his costume is tweaked. It looks different than the way it is in the comics. I'm like, yeah, get over it. Get over the fact that Daredevil has a helmet instead of just the simple hood. You cannot do proper fight sequences with a hood that tight. Especially if they're not going to use lots of CGI. Spider-Man can get away with it because CGI is all over that movie. Pretty much. And also, it's like, it, the reason, like, they don't let, you know, filmmakers have any creative freedom. 
they're just as bad as the people who bashed comic books in the first place when comic books were just starting out. Yeah, I'm kind of surprised they haven't lost their mind over Will Smith being Deadshot and Deadshot being black. You know, he still looks great. Yeah, no, he looks great also. Yeah, and, and they, they got they, the mask they, down. Perfectly. Yeah, they, they brought in the mask. I was surprised. I didn't think they were going to do that. I know. And Killer Croc looks. He reminds me of the Killer Croc from Arkham Asylum. Nice. Just not as big. All right, everybody. I think we've kind of gone on a tangent here. We're going to talk about summer movies here in another episode. I think we're going to bring back uh, Retro Rock Entertainment for a special summer movie edition. And we're going to knock out all the superhero movies coming up and talk about all the cool stuff, period, that's coming up this summer. And maybe a few shitty movies. And uh, awesome. look out for that one. We're going to have that coming up real soon. Yeah, but that last little segment we were discussing, you know, creative freedom and, you know, from comic book to film, that's a very important lesson you should all learn. All right, everybody. That's me signing off. Get it by, everybody. Namaste and good luck. Uh, bananas and pajamas. Da 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 You're coming down the stairs. Yeah, no, honestly, yeah, exactly. That's, I mean, cause some of the stuff I, I, I even posted on one of those uh, forums. I'm just like, you know what? I swear, these people are crying for nothing. <laughs> it's like, geez, it's like, well, wait, wait until we see their actual performances, then cry. Yeah. I think these people will pull it off. It's like, who cares how Harley Quinn looks? I think she looks perfect. All right. That's definitely. <laughs> We should actually actually literally sign off and carry this conversation on later. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. I We never know how to end an episode. It's a lot like Saturday Night Live. They don't know how to end skits. <laughs> we don't know how to end episodes properly. So, good night. I thought we ended. No, no, you were just, I didn't hit stop.